This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday to you. You did it again, my friends. Another week of a success. You know, you can put it to rest now. Relax. Kick back. And celebrate today for what it really is about, uh, Pizza Party Day. Today's the day you get to just break out a pizza party. Unless, of course, you've got a little uh, gallbladder problem. Ooh. Then it's just, I guess I just have a smoothie and watch my team have pizza. You know what, though? You're looking so snazzy, you can't even tell that you have a problem with your gallbladder. It's because I dress up. If I dress up and wear a tie, nobody notices my pancreas is pulsating. Yeah. It's a weird mm. thing. It's 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 one of those dress for success rules. Wear a tie and you draw the eye up to your neck instead of down by your <laughs> pancreas. Anyway, happy pizza party day. I uh, I'm pretty sure we assigned Palakiko to buy pizza for everybody today. But these students don't have the money that they need to buy the pizzas, so... Well, there might... I don't know that there's a pizza place that's open at 7 in the morning, either. That might be part of the problem. Yeah, that's a good point. It's kind of a downer. Boy, sorry to ruin your Friday morning. Happy Pizza Party Day. Uh, It is a pizza... It's a party for President Trump. He is... He's on his way to uh, his first out-of-town trip, really. uh, His first uh, cross... Waters trip, let's call it. He's going to blow the minds of people, I guess, in four different countries. Wrong. (laughs) He's going to do something. But uh, we wish him the best of luck and hope that he represents us well. He has a steak. Well done with ketchup waiting for him in Saudi Arabia. Mm, (laughs) Sounds like my house growing up. Is that how he eats a steak? Well done. Well done with ketchup. Wow, really? Yeah. I didn't think you would do that to a Trump steak. So while everyone else is sampling, you know, local. Yeah, food, fair. He's going to have his steak with ketchup. I mean, yeah. I mean, you could, you know, when in Saudi Arabia, do as the Saudi Arabians. Right. Or just stick to the old plan. There's, there's many ways. He's to... not going to visit a historic site in Israel where he was going to give a speech because oh, he can't gonna, land yeah. his helicopter. Oh, yeah. They're going to make him actually, like, make take a tram and maybe walk a little bit. He doesn't want to do anything. No, let's not go there. Yeah. Because he, he kept saying he wanted to move the headquarters, no, the, the embassy yes. from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, he, which, by the way, many presidents and candidates have tried or said that they would which do. Which apparently only would, would require taking a shingle off one building with a name on it and, and putting it, it on the other, other one. one. There's mm-hmm. no big, like, massive but change it, here. But, but it says a lot. Yes. So they're, yeah, they're it's not going to do that. It's a political stance. Okay, so good. So, he, so he's, he's, he's gone. He's there. He's on his way. It's going to be a great day. And Half the White House is with him. And apparently there's a lot of the members of the White House staff that are exhausted. Yes. It's just been a rough couple of weeks. So, you know, maybe it's the idea that when the boss is away, pizza party day. There you go. I'm sure there will be news about that. Coming up. So we'll be talking pizza parties today. Um, Also, we'll get the headlines in a minute. Plus, we're going to talk about the emerging crisis of critical thinking. Is it possible? I don't know if you remember, but about 20 years ago, there was this big um, kind of Einstein baby movement where you have all these methods of getting your your child to be brilliant. Mm -hmm. 
by just having them listen to things, tapes or whatever. Well, what's interesting is now the research is coming out on that group of uh, kids. Not so smart. Hmm. These, th- these things apparently didn't work. So now there's this weird. Can you get your money back? No, you can't. Wow. Sorry, you bought them. A lot of effort <laughs> no there. refund. But the problem is uh, now we have kids that can't think on their own. They don't have any critical thinking skills. So we will be speaking with a researcher and a writer about what he's calling a crisis. Now we're in a crisis of critical thinking because we have an entire generation that doesn't necessarily know how to think its way through things. I always wondered why critical thinking was the worst part of my test and everybody else's tests that we took in elementary school. Really? They were, yeah. they, that was a bad thing for you? I you think so. so. Yeah. I think so. But yeah. I think I could get that. Hmm. I mean, it's hard to be a critical thinker. So what's the correct way to raise your child? Do you try to make them smart, listen to classical music, or do you just let them play video games? You You put a a fidget toy in front of them. You give them a fidget toy. Let them just fidget their way through elementary school. You also let them be independent. You let them make a lot of mistakes. Mm. And then you don't just abandon them when they make the mistake. You ask them to help. Let's figure out a way to improve it. In 20 years, we're going to find out that was wrong. What? That the process you just no. demonstrated is going well, to be incorrect. I would probably say not because that's like universal, right? Like, is it? Well, they're yeah. Every child's going to have to figure out how to fail. You think teaching your kids, you know, more would lead to intelligence? No, but it didn't. Well, no, it led to kids that can't make decisions. <laughs> yeah, because well, you got to teach them how to make decisions. Right? You got to let them. So a lot of parents too didn't let their kids fail, or they still don't. You've got to let your kids just run right into the wall. What's a few stitches? <laughs> just stitch them up. Fix it. We'll get into that. It's a pretty interesting discussion. Plus, uh, of course, some empty news as we go through the day. And later in hour number three, we are going to be doing another. I mean, it's working. Jeffrey, your show is working. Jeff's got a new show called Screen Cleaning. And it's working so well that we're going to do it every Friday from here to eternity. Every Friday, 11 o'clock Eastern time. From yeah. here to eternity, that's a movie right there. Yeah, bring it up on your show. Hmm. It's a good one. It's a great show. And uh, so pay attention. That's only two hours away. Let's, take, uh, let's get to our headlines. Terry, what's going on uh, around the world that we need to be paying attention to? At least one person has died after a speeding car allegedly rammed into a crowd of pedestrians. I don't know why it said allegedly. They have video of this in uh, New York City's Times Square on Thursday. The news agency uh, Reuters said at least 12 victims received medical treatment on the scene. The 18-year-old woman that was killed has been identified as Alyssa Elsman of uh, this from the New York Post report. She's from Michigan. Uh, she's a native. She was visiting New York with her family. Social media posts show the crashed red sedan on the sidewalk. At one point, the car was in flames. Police don't believe the deadly incident was terrorism. They're looking at the possibility it was on purpose, though. The suspect, 26-year-old Richard Rojas, a, has a history of psychiatric er, psych, yeah, psychiatric issues and problems with drugs and alcohol. He was dishonorably discharged from the Navy in 2015 and resisting a DUI arrest in Florida. Police say after his arrest, he told them he heard voices, oh, which boy. is always a good sign. Yeah. Sources say that he didn't have alcohol in his system when he was arrested, but was under the influence of an unidentified substance. Mm. So that was uh, uh, our own Leanna Tan is in Times Square. She is and is okay, but again, she 
sad for what happened. Swedish prosecutors have dropped their investigation into sexual assault allegations against WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange. Officials will hold a press conference later today to expand on their decision to halt the seven-year legal standoff. The 45-year-old who firmly denied the allegations uh, took shelter in the Ecuadorian embassy in London in 2012 and has lived there ever since. Assange may now be able to leave the embassy, but his legal team said he will not, will not exit the premises without certain assurances regarding extradition. The Metropolitan Police in London issued a statement Friday confirming that an arrest warrant for Assange still stands over his failure to surrender in 2012 and that they are obliged to execute the warrant should he leave the embassy. Hmm. So they're dropping the charges. Yeah. They kept him in there. But I think all his WikiLeaks activity, you're going to keep him in there because he steps out and the U.S. is like, hey, we want to talk to you. Gotcha. <laughs> oh, that's I mean, imagine you're trapped. Right. I mean, no, it's I your own fault, but you're trapped. And so then all of a sudden Sweden's like, we're not going to have we're not doing it anymore. So you're like, yeah. oh, maybe I can leave. Yeah. No, or can you're, I? you're stuck in the Ecuadorian embassy. Apparently, it's a wonderful embassy. Oh, yeah. The Wi-Fi might be a little spotty. I mean, if you're talking, exactly. Especially when, like, they bring it down. <laughs> they turn it off. Yeah. yeah. A looming trade conflict with the United States over sugar is threatening to disrupt the livelihood of residents in sugarcane-growing regions of central Mexico. Mexico has until June 5th to reach an agreement with Washington for its sugar exports to continue entering the U.S. markets duty-free. Mexico exported uh, 1.1 million tons of sugar to the U.S. in 2016, according to government figures. Sugarcane day laborers earn between $32 and $38 a day, hmm. a salary that most need to support their families. If no deal is reached, their livelihoods are in danger as U.S. trade officials are threatening to slap tariffs of up to 80% on Mexican sugar imports. The dispute comes as the two neighbors, along with Canada, are set to renegotiate the North American Free Trade Agreement beginning in August. Hmm. But they need to get this deal done in June. Or they get a possibly an eighty percent increase on what Ooh. it costs to move that stuff Sounds across the border. Sweet. Speaking of sugar, Americans are eating less cereal, but executives at General Mills are hoping they found a way to re- revive sales by offering customers a chance to win one of ten thousand boxes filled with nothing but Lucky Charms marshmallows. Oh heaven! Now on its website, General Mills call it, calls marshmallow only Lucky Charms the unicorn of the cereal world. <laughs> fantasized about but never actually seen. In reality, they come with more sugar per serving than a Snickers bar or a Twinkie. Oh, my living, really. It's a, it's a change in direction for the makers of Cheerios, Tricks, and Wheaties, which two years ago announced it would remove artificial flavors and colors from Lucky Charms marshmallows by 2017. That effort has since stalled. Company scientists have yet to find natural substitutes that won't affect the flavor. <laughs> it's because it's all sugar, right? Yeah. Uh, so they're, they're, the work is ongoing, though. They will find, they will solve this problem. We have this. The, in the meantime, customers can try their hand at winning a box filled with hundreds of marshmallows. Each six-ounce serving comes with 110 calories and 22 grams of sugar. Regular Lucky Charms, by comparison, has the same number of calories but less than half the sugar. Oh, boy. So they actually, you know. Uh, so it says here, this time around, the promotion will span eight months. The company is requiring participants to purchase its cereal. Each specially bark, uh, marked box of Lucky Charms will come with a code on the inside panel. Customers can then type that in to see if they won a free box of marshmallows. What happened to just opening up the box and seeing the prize right then and there instead of having to take a code and plug it in come online? On. Yeah. Don't you remember digging to the bottom of a box oh, to yeah. get the prize? Oh, it's great. You didn't even care about the cereal. That's right. And you just would put your grimy little five-year-old hands <laughs> and touch all the cereal. Right. And then what we would do is we'd dump it out into a bowl. 
pull the prize and then dump it back into the box. Wow, you guys were yeah, smart. We were advanced. Yeah, no, I just stuck. I'd bend the box a little bit and then stick my little arm in there. Yeah. See, but those were the days when you didn't have like MRSA mm. and all of these other <laughs> MRSA. Did no, you say uh, MRSA? Oh, MRSA. Yeah, it's like a superbug. Hmm. Mm. Not Mensa. It's a superhuman. Smart. Um, I miss those days. Mm. Those were the those were the lazy. Day, dog days of summer as a little boy when my mom would go to work and I would just – Steal toys. Steal toys. Look for money in the sofa. Right. Go to the store. Buy stuff. Be tortured by my sisters. Yeah. It was but, the good old days. I miss those days. Back when your pancreas worked. Back when <laughs> – you know, I, I – so I spoke last night to a group of um, t- uh, traumatic brain injury patients and their caregivers. So they've all kind of survived through strokes or head injuries and things like that. And um, but I brought up my pancreas, like as a parallel, right? And they were all like, "They're like you're, you're got to be kidding me! Yeah. Are you like, kidding me? You realize what we went through, and you're talking about your pancreas." <laughs> yeah, right. But they did laugh. They thought it was funny. Mm. But that's what I've heard about you is when you present live, mm-hmm. it's funny. It's hilarious. Yeah. In fact, hour number two, we're going to talk about humor. And the healing benefits of humor, which many may say it's a little overstated. Finally, we're going to get to some humor on the show. I didn't know. I didn't say we were going to be funny. Mm. We're just going to get talk. to the funny. We're okay. going to talk about humor. Yeah. Why start now? <laughs> <laughs> you guys. Um, my son, by the way, confiscated my fidget spinner. Ooh. You mean he took it back? He yeah. reclaimed it. He took his yeah. fidget spinner yeah. back. I bought it for him. And he had he came to me. He's like, I haven't, I can't find my fidget spinner. I'm like, oh, it's right here. Oh wait, it's in my pocket. <laughs> How did it uh, get there? Maybe it was your sister. Yeah, I think your sister probably took it. But can't you like claim like dominion over the house? Yeah. So why did you just give it back then? Well, because I don't want anyone to think I fidget. Oh. Or spin. But you've played with it like multiple times on the show. I have. Now I don't know what to do with my hands. Right. You flash that thing around more than that $200 you once found in your pocket. I know. Like you were more proud of that fidget spinner than well, the $200. I think it makes me look hip and young. Like your guests are going to be impressed by this $1 spinny toy. Well, J- that Jesse was here yesterday, <laughs> and I'm like, do you, want, do you want to watch me fidget? <laughs> and she said no, and you're like, She's here, like, let me show you. Pardon? Yeah. No. I'm good. Did she did she talk about any of the uh, therapeutic elements of the fidget no, spinner? No, we, we've got to have her back to talk about does it is it really therapeutic? Because hmm. we had a big debate last night. It's not because you need two hands a lot of times to spin it. Right. And if you have two hands, then you really sh- can't be writing. You can't be taking notes. You can't be. And apparently, fidget spinners create a they create a noise like a spinning noise, and right. the teachers can hear it. You, we've heard it many times on the program. Have Thank you. you. Yeah. Especially if you have, like, say, five, six, 20 kids in the class all uh-huh. spinning them at the same time. <laughs> the it's therapeutic, room. I swear. That's yeah, why no. you need one of those uh, – what are those so little cubes called with, with all the little buttons yeah. and – Yeah, cubes. I have yeah. Terry cubes. So you could do that with your left hand and still write and yeah. read no. with your right hand. That one's totally therapeutic. You should get yeah. a prescription to get one of those. Hmm. Your what doctor do, should recommend. Aren't it. they pretty cheap too? Yeah, they're like two bucks. Okay. The first one I got. <laughs> if you can get a doctor to prescribe a fidget toy, yeah, you got bigger problems. Well, yeah, <laughs> you got a bigger problem. By the way, check your doctor out. We'll take a break, my friends. When we come back, we're talking critical thinking and the emerging crisis. Stick with us. 
Does anyone else remember the days of the baby Mozart music? Remember and all the promises that uh, getting your kids started as a baby listening to classical music would make them a genius? Well, those children are now graduating high school now or attending college. And instead of a generation of super geniuses, many college students struggle with real world problem solving and critical thinking skills. So here to talk about it is Dr. Stephen Camerata. He is with us today. He is a director of the Research Program in Communication and Learning at John F. Kennedy Center for Research on Human Development at Vanderbilt University. Dr. Camerata, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me today. So do we have a lot of, uh, we must just have just this plethora of incredibly intelligent people now graduate or in, entering college um, because of all the promises of 20 years ago? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, I don't want to be um, too negative to today's students because there are certainly many, many terrific ones. But, um, yeah, sadly, um, that whole scheme really hasn't turned out as, as parents had hoped. Um, it turns out that the brain learns what you teach it, and if you take little babies and have them, you know, just respond to flashcards and things like that. That's what their brains learn how to do. Fortunately, that doesn't give them problem solving and critical thinking. It's just like a calm response or rote learning kind of thing. And that's what a lot of the students today are struggling with. So it's because we well, we there was early research back then about neuroplasticity and that the brain would could just absorb it and you could make these these I guess these critical uh what do they call it? like um, neural pathways? And once we kind of created these pathways, then intelligence would just flow. But you, you make the point: no, your brain, your brain learns what you teach it, and your brain learns how you teach it. Yeah. So um, there was a lot of really clever experiments to uh, try to understand how neuroplasticity works. So, for example, if um, you you kept a finger from uh, providing input to the brain. Uh, that part of the brain that was responsible for the sensation, that finger, transferred to other fingers, you know. But does this mean we should try to, you know, you know cut off someone's finger in order to get neuroplasticity? Right. No. Neuroplasticity is simply learning that we do. Our brain adapts and learns to whatever it is presented. It doesn't need special computer games or special flashcards. In fact, the normal uh, interaction that we, we do with the environment actually teaches us, and our brain comes ready to learn in that context. Hmm. So when you derail it by trying to move these things earlier and earlier, like recognizing letters or things like that in little toddlers, it actually replaces the learning that's really important for wiring the brain for problem-solving and critical thinking. It really is telling that a fad um, could... Boy, it could really turn a, an entire generation in, or even just how we think about learning. And that's why – I guess that's why you're saying this could be an emerging crisis because we have to get real about how people learn or we're going to just keep following false paradigms. Yeah, or even double down on it. So I think yeah. what's happened uh, in America right now, our educational uh, – overall educational outcome – uh, we're ranked in the high 20s overall, and there's some countries <laughs> that spend far less on education that are ahead of us. And we said, okay, our response is to try to teach reading earlier and earlier, whatever it is, and we're falling further and further behind because our, uh, you know, the children's brains aren't really ready to learn reading. In fact, you shouldn't really teach reading until you know, the language skills of immersion are pretty solidified. So many of the countries that are way ahead of us, uh, such as Scandinavian countries, some Oriental countries, they don't teach formal reading until a child's seven or eight, and that makes sense because that's when ra- language really coalesces. Hmm. Think about reading, we're mapping that onto it. Um, the other thing that's really interesting is, um, you know, if you teach children to sit back and wait for answers, you know, that you present them a flashcard and say, you know, this is a ball or whatever it is, they learn to sit back and wait for you to tell them the information rather than seeking the knowledge themselves, and that's what we're seeing. 
So students that I have, um, I teach um, clinical courses on how to help autism, Down syndrome, and other things. I now have to take a series of steps to help them learn how to how to clinically problem solve. Whereas before, I could present the cases, and the students could could you know reason and think through the next steps. Now I have to plan my lessons in a way that leads them to the critical thinking that they have to do as clinicians. Mm. They're very very intelligent students. It's just that part of their um, abilities. Um, sometimes lags, and I have to help them with that. Interesting. So, so the, the, I guess the, the issue is we've come to a point where we, you know, we, we may be entrained and trained people that you've you got to learn to, you got to learn to pass a test. So here are the questions for the test, figure out, here are the answers for the test, but we haven't really taught the child, we taught them memorizing skills, we right. taught them ways to just take data and regurgitate it back. We just haven't necessarily been teaching them how to problem solve, how to innovate, how to do it independently. Exactly. That's well said. We, we've taught them how to, um, you know, essentially give us facts back, tell them facts and have them give, give them back to us on demand, which is one form of intelligence, and, and this generation is very good at that, amazingly good. But then the other, another aspect of you know, intelligence is called fluid reasoning, and that part of it is where you have some information that you make extrapolations and problem solve and so on. And um, you know, that's the thing that isn't really being um, uh, taken into account so much. I mean, if you think about it, it's like even, even problem solving, you know, children now are being taught like a, a formula or a process for that so that any creativity or any unusual kinds of things um, you know, aren't, aren't um, emphasized in the teaching. Mm. So, boy, and I, I, I guess, I mean, I guess this depends, too, because they're, like you're saying, every child has been treated a little differently. Every parent's pushed a little differently. Um, but, two, you're saying that this could, this has become institutionalized in a way. It has, yeah, and that's actually the point of the study I mentioned, um, you know, uh, that where they studied 2,400 college students, um, you know, some of the best and the brightest, and what they found is that they're not learning as much as they used to in previous generations. Um, so, you know, writing skills, math skills, and so on, instead of accelerating in college, they're kind of plateauing. And, um, you know, that makes sense because college is where, you know, you're really trying to push the students to do innovative thinking and be creative and, and um, you know, really do this fluid reasoning. And that's exactly what the, you know, the, the so-called best and the brightest haven't had, you know, as they've gotten to this point. Hmm. You know, I look at I, I look at how even we got you on the show, Stephen, and we found the article that you had written, and this is a big deal. And I and I don't necessarily I think the reason I loved the idea is because it seems like it's it's kind of a new push. But it, so, how do you take something that is kind of novel? I mean, we're we're just barely getting into it, but yet change the entire educational institution and do so quickly enough so we don't have two or three generations of this? Well, I think well, part, of it, you know, part of this is that you know, parents themselves intuitively are understanding that they need to do something better and different. So, you know, homeschool movement, uh, you know, this is, uh, you're at BYU, right, yeah. in Utah. You know, um, people in Utah really have a strong um, tradition of education, you know, and value education and not just rote learning. So there's certainly, you know, kind of counterculture and undercurrents also, a few years ago, I was a judge of a science fair uh, here in Nashville. It was the um, National uh, Science Fair from the Engineering Society. Uh, just a, a, a cadre of really brilliant young scientists who really, in a sense, rejected this rote learning thing and forged on their own. Now, to be sure, you know, because they're, they're nonconformist in some ways, you know, the, the Bill Gates is of the next generation, mm-hmm. um, you know, they, they pay a price for that, but they're so determined 
that they you know they end up learning and, and fighting through um, kind of the, the 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 culture. So I'm very optimistic that a subset of people will will reject this um, you know and move forward in their learning. But as a as a country and you know in this competitive global marketplace, as you know I talked about in the article, yeah. um, you know as a nation, it, it's uh, it's concerning. And in fact, if you look at a lot of the innovators that are coming in. And a lot of the, um, you know, the leaders intellectually, a lot of them are immigrants that we've we brought in from other countries, either first or second generation. So yeah, they um, see it differently. We have to replenish that, or you know, I think we're we're doomed to a decline in terms of our world standing for this kind of thing. Do you Which think America is known for this? I oh mean, sure. Historically, we've been the land of innovators. So it's, yeah, it's disconcerting, really. Yeah. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. What if we are damaging the innovation paradigm of America? <laughs> I mean, this—that's a scary thought. Is it? Yes. Is it too? I mean, it also because simultaneously we keep hearing about, um, you know, that our college system isn't delivering what the people need. That fewer people are wanting to get to college. That there's a shift in men not going to college as much as women now. I mean, I wonder if some of those are—that's backlash to the fact that the system hasn't prepared people to want to go do what it takes to get through college. Yeah, and that's a that's a very complicated question, and you know it's hard hard to answer scientifically or with yeah. data. But um, certainly, just from a subjective standpoint, there's several factors here. One is you know college is very expensive, and historically, people who got a college education, no matter what it was in, you know they had a competitive advantage in the marketplace. Well, you know employers now they're saying, gosh, you know we get these college students, but you know maybe maybe we're not getting value for it. So. Um, you know, college education is no longer a guarantee of a high-paying job, and so you know people come out with all this debt, and you know maybe people are saying, "Gee, maybe maybe it's better if I do something else." You know, in terms of um, you know uh, figuring out a way to uh, prepare myself for a competitive marketplace. And I think part of what you're saying is true in the sense that you know if you get into college and it's really and you're an innovative person and it's really you know uh, screening people for those that can call and respond, those that can repeat facts. Well, maybe they're not getting into the colleges that are that are uh, suited to their learning style. Mm. So maybe they're going to technical schools or things like that 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 prepare them for um, you know uh, a, a trade or some kind of a job that uh, really fits their skill set better. Yeah. So college, yeah, the evolution of college in the ways you're talking about really, I think, is something we've seen. And I, I've been a college professor now, gosh, for wow, over 30 years. So mm. you know, I've kind of seen it over time. Well, I bet I bet it I bet it is interesting to see. How you've had to change? I mean, because I I look at what the kids in my my children's high school, how the teachers can present there with multimedia, multivisual, so many different teaching methodologies now because there's just technology and ability to do it. Um, but simultaneously, to get you know to get to get my kids to think independently and critically is hard enough. I don't know how you would get a room full of 20 or 25 teenagers to do it. I mean, so it, it really demands some real change. It does. And again, it, to be sure, it starts early. So in other words, if you if you have a, a preschoolers or whatever that haven't had a chance to explore the world, you know, and they've been kind of sitting in car seats and presented flashcards, you know, they're not, by the time they're teenagers, they're not really well prepared to, um, you know, do the kind yeah. of thing you're thinking about. Uh, I mean, to be sure, you know, this is in us, and, you know, in a sense, our brains are wired to want and to be curious and to want knowledge, and so there's ways of inducing it. But, you know, again, we're we're under so much pressure, um, especially our high school teachers, to get our kids into college that everybody just kind of falls into this process and this game. I know when my youngest son, uh, I have seven children, 
so my youngest son, uh, who's my sixth child, went to co- you know was applying to college. The admissions director said to me, you know, your son is you know his essay's good and he has these things, but there's some weaknesses in his application. And I said to him, well, that's because I didn't hire a PR firm to to do right. the college application. You know, what you see is what you get, you know. Uh, and he ended up you know, getting a degree in poli sci. He didn't go to that college. But, I mean, you know, the whole idea now is that we do all these things for our children. And, you know, frankly, with seven children, I, you know, I, I didn't have the time or capacity right. to do everything to right. them. So they, they had to kind of, uh, you know, learn on their own a bit and help each other. Is You know, that's how it is. And, of course, again, in Utah, there's also that kind of culture. So no, totally. I think uh, your state's in, in a good position to, uh, to do well in the future. You know what? It's so fascinating. Okay, let's take a break, Stephen. I want to come back and um, have you start to break down what are the skills that the kids need and maybe give us some ideas uh, how we can how we can drive that a little bit more, you know, from because, again, developmentally, they can only do so much at five that they can do at 10 that they could do at 15. But as parents, I think we could push a lot more and uh, do a lot less, but but still get our kids to, to grow and learn, just as you were explaining. We'll take a break. More on this emerging crisis and critical thinking. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back. Today we're talking about the emerging crisis in critical thinking. Joining us is uh, Dr. Stephen Camerata. He is the director of research pro- of the research program in communications and learning at John F. Kennedy Center for Research on Human Development at Vanderbilt University. And uh, he's talking to us today about an article he wrote in Psychology Today titled "The Emerging Crisis in Critical Thinking." Dr. Camerata, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me today. You bet. So um, I myself have six kids. You have seven. Between us, thirteen well, kids. A good start. It is a good start. Yeah, repopulating the world. Um, but what I our DNA is important for the future. Exactly. We are going to dominate. We are yeah, going to own right, this yeah. world, Stephen. That's right. Exactly. But when I I look at it, and you make a great point because having a lot of kids makes it so you really have to you have to allow them to grow and to develop and to do stuff early. Um, so. Talk about the skills that we have kind of the dearth of the dearth of critical thinking skills. What what are the skills themselves and how do we instill those into our children, either as a, as a parent or as an educator? So um, one of the one of the problems of talking to me is I always think about different studies I can bring to bear on it. So I'll try to make this quick. Yeah, um, there's a study of um, actually bats, um, bats that grow up in environments where everything's the same and bats that grow up in environments where, um, you know, they, they have to adapt to different environments. And as you might expect, when a, you know, a bat has to survive in a world where, you know, sometimes there's high grass, sometimes uh, there's trees, and so on and so forth, they do better uh, when they encounter new environments. Now, the reason I mention that is it's very important to give children different experiences. But the hardest part as a parent is to step back and let them explore it in the way that they want to. We always want to get in there. You know, we always want to kind of guide the consequences of what's going on and, and kind of, you know, get them to the lesson or whatever it is we want them to learn. But it's really important to also give them the opportunity to explore in their own way. And, you know, the BAT study really shows us that, you know, when children have the freedom to explore and learn things in their own way and the way that, you know, makes sense to them and the way that their temperament and the rest of it fits in, 
that's going to help wire their brains to face new challenges. So in other words, we have to give our children the opportunity to face challenges, overcome them, and learn from them in order to develop critical thinking. In our society, we're trying to get all that out of there. You know, we think of adversity as something negative, but in fact, it's very positive. Mm. It's so true. We we try to minimize the world's impact. We become like the bumper to our children, and we're, we take we absorb as much of the negative energy as we can, and and the the blowback and and the challenge, and yet in doing so, it sounds like we're weakening them. We are, and just in the sense of weakening, in the sense that we're not giving them the opportunity to grow and develop that mental toughness and that resilience and that confidence to take on challenges. Mm. And so they kind of sit back and wait for us to guide them. I wrote an article on tantrums as well, and uh, parents think that, you know, tantrums maybe are bad and they reflect something that, that, that's psychologically damaging to children. Well, it turns out that tantrums, of course, are very normal and natural. In fact, a study out of Canada shows that uh, nearly 100% of uh, two-year-olds have tantrums. <laughs> There's a new slash stop the presses. Yeah. Um, I'm glad the U.S. didn't fund that particular study. But, you know, what happens is when, this, when the children are upset, parents rush in and they try to, you know, like deflect the tantrum. But in reality, what parents should do, let the tantrum run its course a little bit. When the child starts calming down, get in there and calm them and, and reward them for learning how to regulate their emotions. You don't want the job of making your child happy. Trust me, it's an impossible job. You want them to develop the skills that allow them to calm themselves. And when things are upset, to also learn that, okay, over time it's okay. You know, time, time works these things out. But if we're rushing in and derailing that process all the time, you know, um, we're not allowing our children to develop those kind of skills, those kind of coping things. And it's the same thing with learning. Boy, that isn't that's a great. I mean, so 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 really, the the, the skills they need are that I'm hearing so far are, um, I guess, uh, kind of resilience to face challenges, to, to to take them on head on, and then also regulation, being able to regulate emotion. Right. Exactly. Is another tool yeah, set. Yeah, be able to take on adversity. Because you think about it, when a critical thinking or you know problem solving is that you don't know the answer. And it's a, little, it's a little scary when you don't know the answer, you know. And, in fact, um, studies out of New York show that, so in New York you, you have to, like, pound facts in your kids' heads so they can get into magnet schools by the time they're five or six. Um, you know, it's kind of the way the system is. Mm-hmm. But the children who have been made, you know, gifted, quote-unquote gifted by doing that, if you give them a problem they don't know, they won't try to solve it. They just sit back and wait for you to tell them how to do it. On the other hand, an average, quote-unquote, average child, if you give them a problem that's a little bit out, out of their comfort zone, they'll try to, they'll try to um, take it on, and then, you know, they're not as worried about making mistakes or, or you know, upholding the gifted image that, uh, you know, that they've been um, fostered with. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's such a survival skill. Right. It, it, like you were saying about the PR firm doing a, a child's... Um, Resume or vitae, or yeah, yeah right, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it really, yeah, it, it's being handed something versus no. Is that instilled? I, I what I get, I'm hearing is it's natural for a child to naturally, I guess, want to go figure it out. But is that so? That's something we as parents are, and I guess our systems that we've created are 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 teaching children not to do. Yeah, it's the cumulative process of taking a child, a very young child, a toddler, you know putting him in a high chair or a car seat, you know, putting on, you know, the latest Baby Genius DVD or whatever it is, and having them sit there passively and taking the information like they're a little mini hard drive versus the child who's on the floor exploring, crawling, um, you know, 
putting dust bunnies in their mouth. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and actually, we hear about that, right? And we, when you don't let them do that, then their immune systems aren't as good, and they get <laughs> asthma and things like that. So, you know, just the, the whole opportunity, the whole thing that starts as little babies is derailed. And then, you know, they, they crawl and they get more mobile, you know, more freedom. Obviously, um, you know, I don't subscribe to the idea of just letting them go out there and letting, you know, yeah. nature take its course because there are dangers out there. But, you know, giving them opportunities to explore within, you know, limited, you know, reasonable supervision, they need that. And if they don't get that, then they learn to sit back and just have people give them information, have people be responsible for their happiness and to take care of them. And they, they don't learn, you know, how to, how to um, you know, think or how to take care of themselves. Wow. And that's what's happening to a whole generation of students that, we've, that we're seeing now as cautions. And by the way, this sounds really negative. You know, I bet if I went there to BYU, I'd find some tremendously yeah. capable students. It's a general trend. There are certainly many exceptions, and we see them every day. And it's great because uh, this, you know, this counterculture and countercurrent is, is definitely strong. And then those kids in the end are going to outcompete the ones that, that can't compete. I have, um, I have a, a nephew that... The the parents have to both work. They don't necessarily make great money, but these kids have had to come home. But I watch how they've grown up um, where they, they have to go get everything they want. And in a way, I notice it, it seems to have made them hungrier, more kind of well-traveled, well-experienced, more much more independent than my own children – um, as my wife has been home and been able to take care of things, and I, it's not like you know we need to create the conditions where where none of us are there with our kids, but it, it, it does matter how you're raised and how and what you are given versus what you have to go get. No, I know that's right, and, and again, it's a balance of and also the temperament, you know, the children and the parents. Some some children are more exploratory, others are more cautious, and you know, even with my own seven, they're very different, mm. you know. Um, and we come with a combination of genes and then also environmental exposure. It's kind of a, an alchemy that happens. But anyway, the point is that, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, we should just, ha- you know, all be latchkey kids and not make yeah. us all geniuses. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying that, you know, the opportunity to do things on your own, to take on challenges, um, you know, for homework. Uh, studies show that, that because there's so much homework, parents do 75% of it. Well, what good is that? You right. know, I used to sign my homework that, the kids would bring home the homework. I tell the teacher, you know, here's what they need to do, uh, here's what they can do developmentally because I knew where they were. Here's what here's what doesn't make sense, and I would do that and sign it, you know. Mm. So the 25 percent they did, you know, and the teachers were upset, but at least they could mark in the book the homework was turned in, which is what they had to do. But I mean, parents are doing that covertly anyway. So the idea is to give them fewer problems, but let them struggle with it. Let them figure out how to do it. That's what's not happening. So uh, kind of resilience, regulation, living in the unknown, letting them take on challenges. Any other skills? And like critical thinking, for example, are there ways to facilitate their ability to um, to think through it, to think yeah, through so, the issue? Yeah, the key thing there really is to give them the opportunity and then to not give them the answer. In other words, you know, if, they, if they're working on something and they say, you know, um, gosh, you know, um, this Lego isn't working or, gosh, you know, I'm doing my math homework and, you know, I'm, I'm not able to do it, you know, then the idea is, well, what do you think? You know, give me a guess. You know, encourage them to try. And, you know, I, I think there, you know, there is a balance between them just being so frustrated or having, you know, taking a little two-year-old and having them do calculus or something. I right. mean, they're not ready to do it. I, the example I use is like taking six-month-olds and trying to make them all walk. It doesn't make any sense. They're not ready to do it. It's everything in its time, but when a child's ready to learn something, 
give them a chance to learn it, you know, give them the opportunity, and don't give them the answer. You know, you reward them trying, and even if they give the wrong answer, ask them to explain, you know, why they thought that, so that they're actually engaging with this process of thinking. So it's a partnership as a parent and as a teacher. I love that. I mean, and I've just noticed my kids, um, and when I, like, teach at church, like, I teach 16-year-olds in my church group, and I sit there and I'll ask a question, and so many will just give me the answer, I don't know. And I, yeah. and I, I, I really, I've made the rule. Well, okay, so what, yeah. what do you think? Then none of us know. Wait, let's just come up with the answer, but right. I don't know is not an answer. It's okay. I don't know. So what that always means is great. Then let's let's think it through. And because we they might just have a they, they just have an easy way of getting out of like I don't know. Mm. Mm. Exactly. But I mean, yeah. from a sixteen year old, there's got to be more than I don't know. I mean, I get it yeah, from I mean, a four year old. I mean, you know, adolescent I mean, alchemy is its own thing. You know, the way to do that is to kind of um, ask them about stuff they're interested in, and also. What's really helpful with teenagers is to actually have them teach you something. Exactly. Like maybe it's a video game. Yeah. You know, like I'm I'm video game impaired. You know, but I would let my kids kind of show me, you know, the latest video game, and then they would teach me. And of course, they they beat me with the back because I don't really like video games. But the point is that you know, instead of it being you know, dad pulling out information, it's more, hey, dad's interested or mom's interested in in what you know, and then you communicate it, and that that's a way of engaging teenagers. That's uh, great. So overall, when you think about it, um, is this – it's going to take a while, I'm assuming, to get systems changed, um, you know, policies changed, beliefs in neuroplasticity informed and educated to all the people that are in the know. Is this really just something more as parents we, we just ought to take on ourselves? Yeah, I think, you know, the key here really is bottom-up. I think, you know, again, you know, you think about centralized systems, bureaucracies, public health systems, and so on. They tend to be giant kind of things that go under their own momentum. I don't see them as these evil entities. They're just, they're human systems that are designed to regulate things. And that's kind of, you know, this is kind of the current thinking. So it'll take a long time for that to change. Um, You know, so really parents need to take responsibility. And to the extent they can, teachers need to take responsibility for, you know, embracing this and saying, okay, the, the most important thing I can give my child is this ability to, to problem solve, you know, think critically, have a, you know, have a, a positive self-image that isn't based on unearned praise, but is actually based on, you know, achievement and, and you know, real life kinds of, of, of learning and knowledge. Um, you know, that authentic feedback, that authentic, con- without being cruel or mean, that, that's so crucial, you know, and that's, that's not, you know, um, you know uh, participation medals, you know, it's, it's real. <laughs> hey, you did that, you know that. You know, versus, hey, you're smart. Well, what does that mean? Yeah. You're smart. I mean, how do you hold up that image, you know? Right. And you know know how to do it again tomorrow, and you know how to do it again the next day. Well, Dr. Stephen Camerata, thank you so much for this uh, insight. Wonderful work. Keep up your great work there at uh, Vanderbilt University. Again, Stephen Camerata is the Director of Research Program in Communication and Learning at the John F. Kennedy Center for Research on Human Development at Vanderbilt University. And uh, you can read that article, The Emerging Crisis in Critical Thinking on Psychology Today. We will take a break, my friends. Come back, wrap up this first hour of the show, Celebrating Friday, helping you be the good in the world. We'll be back. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Welcome back. You know... As if parenting wasn't hard enough, 
And then all of a sudden you watch a late night infomercial and you think, man, all I need to do is get these tapes to play for my kids and boom, they're going to just get it. You know what I think we are all learning is in reality, there's no um, substitute for engagement. Okay, so we can we could play a videotape, we could play an audio tape, we could keep our kids occupied, we could put them on an app and let them just continue to learn. But at some point as parents, we need to also engage, right? We need to be present in the lives of our children and, and actually know them independently and help them build the bridge between who they are and where they want to be in this world. It's really then parenting is about bridge building and getting the kids across the bridge that they need to cross. Some of your children may have anxiety. They're too afraid. They're just too worried about life and they have a lot of fear. Some of your kids have no fear, but they need some boundaries. And that's a bridge you need to help them cross. And what I found with my own children is it's amazing how you know, the bridges I've had to build to succeed in life and the bridges my wife has had to build, we have tool sets that we really need to get to our kids. So look at your own life and identify what are you doing in your own life that works? And what what have you done? Just a simple thing like a little social anxiety. I tend to manage my social anxiety by increasing humor and fun. And I've just found it gives me an edge everywhere I go because if you crack a few jokes, everyone around you relaxes, and then all of a sudden you, I can get rid of the, the anxiousness that I might feel going into a social setting. So, But that, that's kind of a tool set I have that works with my life, and I didn't realize until I was an adult how I was using it to, to kind of build the bridge to where I needed to go. So look at your own life. What are your insecurities? And then take your children on one by one and find out what, how they see the world and, and see if you can't help them in those areas that uh, Stephen was just talking about, resilience and being able to face the challenges, allowing failure to come in, teaching them that failure is just a stepping stone, regulation and emotion management. They've got to learn how to do that. Conflict resolution is another one. Allowing um, and actually helping your, ch- your children appreciate the concept that uh, failure and, and rewarding risk is, is good. Uh, maybe find a way to incentivize your kids not for their winning a trophy, but instead for their reward, uh, give them a reward for just risking. Where did they step out on a limb? What if you could normalize risk? You know, going up and being willing to sing that song for Christmas, your Christmas party with your family. Um, Again, practicing problem-solving skills, conflict resolution skills, very basic talk. And, And I think one of the overarching keys to it all is maybe as adults, we all need to quit talking about how dangerous this world is. This world has never been safer It has never been safer for children than it is right now in this world. Well, yeah, but there's still people dying. Sure, there is. That's how this world works. Anyway, just a little uh, advice for all of us. We'll take a break, my friends. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world.
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back. Happy Friday to you, folks. Time is ticking on. You are just minutes, well, hours away from a weekend. And congratulations. The better way to look at it is you've completed 44 and a half days of work. Hours. Yeah. Which constitute four and a half hours of work. Yeah. Congratulations. Right. And because it's such a special day, it's a day that we will celebrate Pizza Party Day. So of the f- average around 40 some odd hours that people mm-hmm. work a week, how much is Facebook taking up? Oh, easily 10. Really? Yeah. Unless you're, if you're live streaming Facebook. Yeah. 12, 14 hours. What about here where it's kind of it's kind of fuzzy where recreational Facebook begins and work Facebook begins? Yeah. Then it's more like 30 hours. Okay. Do you, ever, do you ever find yourself thinking, okay, now how can I tie this into work if somebody just like shows up at my cubicle and wonders what I'm doing? Hmm. Do I ever think that way? <laughs> no. Well, because you're, you're yeah. one of the, the only one of us here that has a closed door. Yeah. That and if anyone comes into your office, the computer is facing you, I know. not the door. Totally. Where every place where we work, someone walks in behind us, they see what we're doing. Yeah, you've got like three safeguards. We've got nothing. We're yeah. vulnerable. Well, we're the, here's the thing. The reason I do it that way, I would rather that you see my screen, but if I turn my back to you, I will be sleeping. So if I have to face the window or the door, then people can see me, then I have to stay awake. Hmm. So... I'm caught. I don't know whether I should get over my sleeping issue or what I'm doing on my computer issue. You know, I don't ah. know. I don't know how this happens, but every time when I'm at home doing work on my computer, doing voiceovers in my booth, every time that I just happen to look up a YouTube video or yeah. some trailer, my that's when my wife walks in. Yeah, and so every time she walks in, it looks like I'm just goofing off. <laughs> totally. Well, you, hold on. You do voiceover work? Yeah. I didn't know that. We've been over this many times. So you like do commercials and voiceover work? Mm-hmm. One uh, which plays on BYU Radio every single day. Actually, BYU TV, and you never believe it's me. Never heard it. Hmm. Um, we got to try doing some, having you do some voiceover work for the show. That might be a nice uh, change of pace. Yeah, let's do that. Hey, uh, today we're going to be talking about can humor and laughter boost your health? There's a lot of claims that, you know, a good laugh really Laughter is the makes, best medicine, right? It's the best medicine. It yeah. makes you feel so much better. So says Reader's Digest. But but is it true? Does it actually improve your health or does it just make you feel, you know, a chemical endorphin push for a few minutes? Mm. We will get to the answer. I'm all for an endorphin push. Who doesn't love a good endorphin push? Well, listen to this. Does this heal your pancreas? Yes, it does. Nice. I feel so much better now. <laughs> I think the key is it's not hearing laughter. It's probably I would need to laugh. Mm. Something we don't do enough of on the show. Anyway, we'll get to all that fun. Plus, um, we'll be talking about empty news. So let's just say you're stuck in traffic. What's the most natural thing for you to do next? Phone. Get on your phone. Watch Netflix. No, this lady gets out and starts practicing yoga. Why well, hmm. she wasn't going anywhere. 
Well, yeah, if we're not moving. Then We've I'm had just... taco trucks just open up business right on the yeah, freeway, so why, why not? not? Yeah. Why not? Well, except, you know, you, you probably ought to stay in your car. Mm. I don't know. We'll get to all that. Plus, uh, if you've lost a pen lately, we will give you some insight as to where you might find it. Well. I, I would, before you look outside of yourself, always look inside. <laughs> I think Buddha said that. Look within. First. Look within. The pen might be in you. Like in your digestive tract. <laughs> Only if you were crazy enough 36 years ago to digest one. Wow. So, uh, or to ingest one. So apparently it didn't – it wasn't digested. Well. <laughs> it was just plastic. ingested. We will uh, – we'll get to all of those stories. But first to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what's going on that we need to worry about? The U.S. Navy is moving the USS Ronald Reagan aircraft carrier to the Korean Peninsula where it will conduct dual carrier training exercises with the USS Carl Vinson amid heightened tensions in the region, two defense officials told this, told CNN. So now two aircraft carriers. Do we believe it this time? Is it actually moving? Yeah. How do we know? Are so, we going to find out it's like over off of Italy somewhere? Right. Until they send us a shot from that area with them, you know, with the background, with the countries that would show that they're there, then I don't believe it. Well, the Carl Vincent was added by their Facebook page. So we might want to check the Ronald Reagan Facebook page. Yeah, see, see if, if there. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's see great. if it coordinates. Um, in other news, uh, where'd I go? There is two Chinese fighter jets intercepted a U.S. radiation sniffing plane in international airspace over the, yeah, exactly, East China Sea. The U.S. military said Thursday a spokesperson for the U.S. Air Force called the interception unprofessional and said the issue was being addressed with China through appropriate dim- diplomatic and military channels. Mm. Now, there is a military channel. This is the chief sniffer. Yeah, the chief. Sniffer in chief. The commander in chief sniffer. (laughs) In other news, a woman in Walnut Grove, California, has spent the last three weeks in intensive care after eating nacho cheese from a gas station. Oh, Oh, darn it. Lavinia Kelly was driving home from work on April 21st when she stopped at Valley Oak Food and Fuel gas station for a snack. After purchasing a bag of Doritos, she drizzled them with nacho cheese sauce that was available for customers. Don't say drizzle. The next day, the mother of three went to a local hospital (laughs) to be treated for double vision, according to the Sacramento Bee. Though she was sent home a few hours later, she was having breathing problems and became sick. Uh, She then has been hospitalized and spent her 33rd birthday on Wednesday in intensive care being oh, treated cow. for botulism. See, that is just irresponsible. A rare paralytic illness. Botulism is caused by a nerve toxin produced by bacteria. Officials have halted food sales in the business on May 5th. Five cases of botulism have been connected to the same gas station. Okay, but let's be real. Yeah. I can't believe it's taken this long for this story to happen. <laughs> That's kind of my thought. I mean, this was 30 years ago. We were looking at that nacho cheese thinking... That's nacho cheese. Yeah. <laughs> That's not real. This is a great example of having too much power, too much freedom. We should not be allowed this much freedom wow. to put nacho cheese yeah. on our nacho cheese Doritos. Don't you think, honestly, it should be left to a 16-year-old kid It just with says gloves? it could be Cool Ranch Doritos, and she wanted a cheesy flavor. You don't know this. Oh, she got it. You stick with the facts here. Only the facts of as, the story. As somebody that has been in the hospital recently, because I almost died. Right. With gallbladder issues and pancreatitis, um, this isn't funny. No, but I mean, come this on. is. She got nacho cheese from a gas station, put them on her Doritos, <laughs> and it almost kills her. Yeah, which is what they've said all the, all along. It's just this actually was botulism, not right. sheer cholesterol. See, if, but 
But how is that different from going to Taco Bell, getting the cheese on your taco that's a Dorito taco well, shell? the difference is it, it, somebody at uh, Taco Bell has a food permit. Mm. <laughs> at Seven uh, Eleven, there's not a food permit for the person that's probably putting the nacho cheese. Well, they don't put it on display right. anyway. I know the guy that just pumped gas can come in and get nacho cheese on his Doritos. Yeah, he can do it himself. I'm assuming. Interesting story. Mm. Other news: Beauty sleep is no myth. A new study at Stockholm University, published in the Royal Society Open Science Journal, finds a lack of sleep makes a person look significantly less attractive. This per the BBC. And that's not all. Swollen eyelids and dark circles around the eyes might also prevent people from hanging out with you, says the researchers who photographed 25 volunteers, some with a full night's sleep, others who did not. The scientists then showed the photos to 122 strangers in Sweden who were then asked to rate the subject's attractiveness, health, sleepiness, and trustworthiness, then decided if they if they would like to socialize with that person. A person's trustworthiness was rated about the same no matter which photo part, uh, participants were viewing, but participants were gener- generally less likely to socialize with subjects suffering from a lack of sleep, hmm. whom they considered less attractive, less healthy, more sleepy than subjects who'd gotten a good night's sleep, according to the study. So sleep makes you more attractive. Wow. That explains a lot. Huh. I just got to take that one in for a minute. Yeah. Think about that one. Need more sleep. Totally. You get bags under your eyes, dark circles. You look, you know, you look kind of scary. Like a train wreck. Yeah. Hmm. And finally, the internet is having a hard time with a, uh, a new Harris poll. They, uh, they have an annual Trends study, which ranks how brands are regarded by the public based on familiarity, quality, and how likely respondents would consider purchasing items from that okay. brand. Yeah, yeah. So they started looking at burger chains. What's the top burger chain Public, public opinion. Brand-wise. Brand-wise. I'm not going to answer because I think I caught a glimpse of this paper. It's um, – well uh... – it's controversial because people, right. you know, have right, their right, favorites. Right. But I'm going to bet it's not – it's it's the one where they pin their aprons. I don't know what that one is. Um, In-N-Out Burger? In-N-Out Burger. No. Five guys took the top ranking for from In-N-Out Burger this year, bumping the famous California chain to number two. Hold on. Five Ooh. guys. So – but where's McDonald's and Wendy's and – No. People don't like those brands as much. Oh, boy. You know what? You know how that guy recently tweeted, I want chicken nuggets, and he got them for like a year? Yeah. I'm convinced if Wendy's would put, install play places in their restaurants, they would blow all the other fast food places with play places out of the water. Well, I know. But, like the, min- but the minute you put a play place in there, then the senior market's gone. <laughs> oh, kids. Because these kids are just too noisy. They're too much racket. And then those... Bacteria-infested balls fly out of the little playroom. Okay, the you know, which is like a, it's just a, it's a bacteria grenade. So all that does, though, is it gets rid of your three o'clock uh, lunch crowd. Well, the three o'clock, yeah, the five thirty dinner, the five thirty dinner, <laughs> yeah, or I'm sorry, yeah, three thirty dinner. That's what it meant. Yeah. Well, and the two for specials. Well, no, you you miss the late lunch because you know you come in for late lunch, and there's some basically a kid in the restaurant. People walk in the door and go, "No way!" and walk mm. out. One. We would go on field trips in junior high and high school. We would stop in a McDonald's or restaurants or whatever, and they'd walk in, and there's like 30 junior high kids. They turn around and leave. Oh well, a See? field trip is different though. But you know, as far as those value menus go, Wendy's is far and away the, I love the highest quality there. 
That's my favorite restaurant. Should I, we have been saying Blendies this whole time? Yeah, because we're not going to name it. Okay. A, a restaurant that sounds like Blendies. <laughs> You've already said it. So We've already said it. <laughs> a little late. To but I, I, I actually, pound for pound, get less. Literally pound for pound. I get less and inf- fewer infections <laughs> from there than any other burger joint I go to. This is like Principal Skinner saying, will L. Simpson please come to the office? No, wait. That's too specific. Lisa S. <laughs> Yeah. So, <laughs> oh, I love blendies. I really do. And they have these blosties that are so good. Yeah. It's just ice cream. Mm-hmm. It's a blosty from blendy. <sighs> Sounds really good. I haven't had a hamburger <laughs> for about a month now. I miss them. So check this out. A Florida woman fed up with rush hour traffic decided to beat the stress with some yoga. You know, that's the big mindfulness movement right now. Right in the middle of the road. It's not your typical morning activity on South Florida's extremely high-trafficked I-95, but Kristen Bjornson found herself with a unique opportunity and decided to take it on a particularly snarled Wednesday morning. It all started around 9.45 a.m. on the Miami overpass. Traffic had come to a complete stop, and Bjornson's car was running out of gas. you got to turn it off then. Now, this would be very stressful. It would induce a lot of stress. Mm. But Bjornson decided I'm not going to let this stress me out. I had my windows down, my engine off as a result, she said, and the view from up there is really pretty nice because you're above everything. You can see the whole the whole city. I, I, I couldn't help it. I figured it was my only chance ever at striking a pose on the highway. So that's what she did. She got into the Cobra pose, which the Cobra pose is, I think, Jeff's favorite pose, next to squatting duck. <laughs> That's a good post. I'm not too. sure if that's one, but yeah. Uh, check it out. It okay, is. we'll look. Um, yeah. Yeah, it does. Uh, with no end to the traffic in sight, she even asked fellow drivers to get out and, and, uh, and uh, snap a photo of her. Right. So she's sitting in the middle of traffic. They got a good photo. I was just trying to make a point about traffic in Miami and how we handle it. Sure, you can freak out. Sure, you could just run out of gas, stress. But no. You could go strike the Cobra pose. She also works for a, a local TV station or newspaper in that area and was able to uh, put a story together wow. for her employer. Imagine the luck. Huh. She still was able to work while having people take her picture and strike a pose. Is it raining in here? Yeah. I don't know how much longer this board is going to work. Uh, yeah. Feels kind of humid. We feel some, the humidity. Like, feels like a rainforest of some kind. We're used to the dry heat. This is more of a wet heat. Yeah. Hey, a pair of ballpoint pens were extracted from a man's body after 36 years. Anybody want a pen? Mm. Doctors in China said they surgically removed two ballpoint pens from a man who swallowed them more than three decades ago at a hospital in eastern China. The man whose surname was Wang told them he swallowed the pens as part of a lost bet. He was 14 years old when he lost the bet. <laughs> See, now, I guess you'd oh, would it be better to swallow maybe like a, a pen from a bank because it has that chain on it. Yeah, you can bring it back you can, out. Like, yank it back out. <laughs> you wouldn't have this problem. Wang told the doctors he forgot about swallowing the pens. Oh, yeah, a pen. How, How do, do you, you forget, forget that? I have no idea. But my stomach has hurt since I was about 14. I don't know. Um, I mean, you lose pens. Right. People lose pens all the Constantly. time. Constantly. But you never would think that you swallowed them. 
Uh, apparently, they showed up on an X-ray during a body examination. Mm. See, if I were in a bet, I would take my chances with the Doritos and nacho cheese. Yeah. If you had to choose between one way or another of destroying your body, two ballpoint pens or Doritos with nacho cheese, you go with the cheese. I mean, what's the worst? It's botulism. (laughs) You know, I'm constantly losing pens. Maybe I ought to check my intestines. Yeah, you ought to. Well, do you remember losing a bet? Oh, yeah. Okay. Check your intestines. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to judge you. I'm just saying, as somebody that's had a CT scan regularly, check your gut. You'll be amazed what's in there. I lost some sunglasses. Found them during my last CT. My last license scan. plate was in there. License plate. Crazy. A dog collar with a leash. So weird. Uh, all that uh, craziness ahead. So, is it true that humor? You know, is the best medicine. Stick with us. We're talking about if humor and laughter can actually boost your health. We'll give you the latest and greatest research. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Well, if you've uh, if you've ever heard somebody say, you know, humor is can be the best medicine, or if you've if you've heard other stories or research claiming that uh, a little laughter, a little humor, can heal everything from almost you know anything from heart disease to maybe cancer, it's uh, it boosts your immune system. Are are any of these claims true? And uh, and really, if so, why are we not all just healthy? Because all you'd have to do is really find a really good comedian, right? And then that'll get rid of the cancer. And, and if that were also true, wouldn't it be true that the the uh, the people that bring us all the laughter, the comedians, would be some of the longest living, healthiest people around? Well, to walk us through the actual uh, research, can humor and laughter actually boost your health? is uh, Dr. Gil Greengross. He's a lecturer in psychology at, at, at Aberystwyth University in Wales of the United Kingdom. He's an evolutionary psychologist, and he's, he's been cutting through the latest research to see if we can't get to the truth. What really are the benefits of laughter and health, or laughter and humor to your health? Uh, Dr. Greengross, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thank you for inviting me for your show. This is um, this is I love this topic because I'm a big. I know I feel better when I laugh and when I'm you know being able to be entertained with humor. I'm not sure what it does to me long term. What are you finding in the research? Right. Well, laughter and humor are fun. For let's start with that. I mean, there's nothing usually uh, bad with that. Right. However, uh, as you mentioned before, there are a lot of exaggerated claims in relation to humor and laughter. Uh, it started in the 70s. Uh, you might be familiar with Norman uh, Cousins. Cousins. Yeah. Yeah. He, he published a book. He, he, he claimed that uh, he had uh, some severe disease and, and he was uh, at home watching uh, comedy, sitcoms, a lot of Marx Brothers, I think. And, and he was claiming that watching these films helped him uh, uh, to heal. Uh, however, uh, a lot of these claims are exaggerated, and potentially humor could be beneficial both for mental health and uh, physical health. 
but uh, from the research that uh, I and others do, uh, most of the claims are maybe working short term uh, and, and not really long term. And I can go into detail into some of the studies that, that you mentioned. Yeah. So, so really the benefits we see to, um, you know, watching something that's, that's funny and that makes us laugh, the benefits, if there are any, really would be more to a kind of a local claim or a local situation of feeling good in that moment, not necessarily something global about our overall health. Right, exactly. Well, the, the two main benefits that we find consistently throughout the research is that one, it's a destruction. So if you're sick or if, you know, you need to get an injection or some bad treatment, so humor can help to sort of distract you from all the pain. And the other thing is that it does seem to help uh, to reduce uh, some of the pain associated with all sorts of diseases. So there are studies where uh, you get people, for example, to put their hand into ice. Yeah. And then you show them a comedy film or a, a comedy show, and uh, um, you see how long can they hold their hand into the ice. And you do find out that people that uh, were watching comedy uh, films uh, are able to uh, sustain more pain because after uh, really half a minute, a minute in like very cold ice, you can't really uh, stand it. Uh, so humor does help with that. Uh, another thing that humor uh, does help uh, is to reduce stress associated, again, with a lot of uh, uh, illness and a lot of treatments that uh, people get. Uh, but on the other hand, we, we tend to think of humor as something positive, which is mostly true, but there can be also some detrimental effects on your health for, for humor. I can get into that. Yeah, what are some of the detrimental impacts of humor? Well, uh, there is one famous study, a, a longitudinal study, and longitudinal studies where you follow uh, people for a very long time. So there was a study that started in the 1920s, uh, almost 100 years ago, uh, when they uh, reached out to uh, gifted kids in California, I believe, and they tracked them every few years to see their health and all sorts of psychological measurements. And one of the things that they looked at, uh, so at the beginning when they were teenagers, they, they asked their parents and the teacher uh, to assess their sense of humor, to see how cheerful they are. And then they follow them literally for decades. So we have now a wide range of data about this kid that now become adult and, and eventually uh, most of them, I think, are, are dead by now. And what they found out, that the kids that were um, reported to be cheerful and funny, this was the one that actually, first of all, they tended to smoke, they tended to use drugs more often than other kids, and also were more likely to die younger compared to kids that were not that cheerful. Hmm. So, so this just show you now, this is just a correlation. We find a relationship between two things. It does not mean that uh, the humor, or the laughter, or the cheerfulness uh, has a, a, like a causal effect on their death, but some may suggest that it's possible that because of their cheerful personality, Maybe they didn't go to the doctor that often. They didn't care about their uh, health problem. They tend to delay treatment, and that eventually 
led to all sorts of problems or also they discounted all sorts of risks like drinking, drugs, and so on. Interesting. So they might be more likely to take things less seriously, I guess. Right, exactly. Huh. Does it um, – so because I know you talked about – it's a really interesting question. If humor is such a healing thing, then why are all of these comedians dying so young? Um, but I right. guess part of that is – might be you know, reflective of that study that you know, sometimes humor masks other pain. Right, exactly. So the study that I, 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 I talked about was with kids, and, and you are right. There are other studies that show that comedians – and the humor writers uh, tend to actually die at a younger age than the average population. So there was a couple of studies with British comedians that look at the top 100 comedians, and they found out that the most famous comedians tended to die younger. Now, we know that when you're a stand-up comedian, uh, you tend to also live uh, sort of off the, on the edge, and we have stories like uh, John Belushi and another famous comedian, that they extensively use drug and live a very unhealthy life. So that can contribute to their decline of health. So it's not really directly related to their health, but you're right. There might be to their humor. I mean, so it might be that the humor is used to maybe mask some of the pain or some of the problem. And it's also related to another study that I did on stand-up comedian, something surprising that I found that comedian tend to have an introverted personality compared to other people. And, and the way we tend to look at comedians when we see them on stage, they have this uh, uh, flamboyant uh, personality. They seem to be very extroverted. They, they use uh, caressing, foul language, and so on. So we think of them as, as people that are very extroverted, very confident, uh, and so on. But in reality, in the real life, they tend to be introverted. And mm. when I talked with them and asked them about that, they said, yeah, well, uh, I'm introverted, but on stage I can be whatever I want to be. So in a sense, uh, they use the humor maybe uh, uh, to project something that they would like to be. And, and part of it might be uh, uh, adverse uh, life or a lot of pain. Mm. And you see that. I mean, you see drug use as well, and they live a harder life. I mean, a lot of their their work begins at like 7 o'clock at night, so they end up working kind of more into the night. It's a really interesting uh, study that you've been doing on the comedians as well. Do do you sense – and I mean, I guess help us through this – is – how does evolu- the evolutionary side of this we because humans I'm not I'm I believe only humans have humor right and laughter and a sense of humor um, so somehow we've evolved this sense of humor what where did it come from right well it, it's actually uh, that we're not the only one that laughs now sense of humor and laughter are not exactly the same exactly, thing. exactly right so we, so, so we don't have other animals that might use humor the way we do. But we see this with other primates, mainly, that they too can laugh. And in, in their life, it's usually uh, they laugh to appease other individuals or to show submission. And uh, you, uh, laughter can actually be tracked back uh, into rats. If you uh, Google rats laughter, go on YouTube, you can find some uh, funny uh, YouTube videos where uh, uh, some professor is tickling rats, and you can see the sort of a chirping uh, sound 
that they make, so they seem to enjoy it. But, but to answer your, your question about the evolution of humor, so uh, it, it seems clear that it has evolutionary rules because other animals have it. It's something that is hmm. uh, universal in every society in the world. You see humor, also the content of humor might be different. Uh, so there have been different suggestions of uh, what can be the evolutionary roots of it. And one of them is to um, help uh, in relationship with others. Uh, and I saw that uh, you yourself, when you talk with others, I saw you have a, a clip online yeah. that you said that uh, you use uh, joking, you tell a joke when you interview someone just to sort of break the ice. Right. Uh, and, and that's what uh, one of the functions of, of humor is to break the ice, to ease the tension, to to tell somebody else, to signal them that you are a friend, not an enemy, that you don't mean to harm them, so that can reduce conflict between individuals. Now, oh, that's, my, yeah. own, my, my own study is related to um, mating. Uh, so part of evolution is what we call the sexual selection, uh, how we choose mates. And because men and women do not have the same preferences, for uh, what they uh, look at a mate, women usually are the one, females in general, in nature, are the one that undertaking the heavier cost, uh, cost of reproduction because they are the one that getting pregnant, yeah. having the baby, and so on. So they have to be choosier uh, when they're selecting a mate. Men, on the other hand, are less choosy. They uh, traditionally, like... Uh, uh, from our evolutionary history, they, they tended to invest less in producing at least the individual. And uh, so women are looking for all signs, all, all sorts of signs that the men that uh, uh, they choose will be nice, intelligent, and sense of humor is one of these traits. So sense of humor is highly correlated with uh, uh, general intelligence, but also with emotional intelligence. So this is a trait that is very, very desirable for women when they're choosing a mate. In fact, it's one of the usually two or three top traits that women uh, say that they uh, look in a partner when they're looking for a mate. One ma ma men want someone uh, with humor, but uh, m much less than women. Huh. Uh, the, in the interesting thing about it is not only that, it's not only that women want someone with sense of humor, what men and women mean when they say that they want a partner with a sense of humor is slightly different. Men want someone that will laugh at their jokes, while women want someone that will make them laugh, hmm. like signal their quality as a mate, their intelligence, and it's presumably related to their gene and overall fitness. So this is a very good signal, and we find it over and over in many studies that women indeed select uh, it's a very high priority for them to select a mate based on the sense of humor. While men looking, if, if a woman laughs at your joke, that's a good sign that she's uh, into you. <laughs> and she's got a great sense of humor because she'll laugh at your silly right. jokes. Yes. How interesting exactly. is that? <laughs> oh, man. Let's take a break. Dr. Gill, uh, we're speaking with Dr. Gill Greengross, and he's walking us through lessons of can humor and laughter boost your health? Uh, it can. We probably ought not to globalize it to universal health, but it does help in, in certain situations, in, in pain reduction in certain scenarios. Uh, it is a part of our mating ritual as well. We'll come back, continue the discussion. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Can humor and laughter boost your health? Uh, joining us is Dr. Gil Greengross. Uh, he's a lecturer in psychology at Aberystwyth University in Wales of the United Kingdom. As an evolutionary psychologist, he's been studying many uh, different areas of everyday behavior and emotion. One of them happens to just be humor and laughter. Uh, again, Dr. Greengross, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. This is, to me, it's just so fascinating uh, how we, what we find funny, how we find it funny. When, when you talk about overall health, I mean, I guess part of humor is, is your perspective of life, it's, it, isn't it? It's, it's how you go about looking at life. And so is it possible that maybe the reason we feel we're healthier because of it is just because we have a different outlook? Right. Yeah, it's definitely possible. You see, you touch on something like a little subtle here that there is no one definition of humor. Right. Like humor could be uh, telling jokes uh, uh, to other people or making other people laugh, but it can also be having a positive outlook of laugh and, uh, on life. And, and this is, I think, the key, because if, if you memorize 100 jokes, it doesn't make you uh, someone with a great sense of humor. It's just like someone that knows how to tell jokes. So to know when to say and to whom and in the right time requires some, uh, probably some skill, some intelligence, but also an attitude that is uh, cheerful, uh, uh, positive, to to find the lighter things in life. And we do find, so this is related to emotional well-being, that people that do have this sort of outlook uh, at life uh, do feel better uh, over time, and, and I mean, it, it might be, again, some, somewhat detrimental. They might be having overly optimistic view of their health and, 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 and not go to a doctor if they feel sick, but overall, they feel better about themselves. Now, there are also the people that like to be cynical, uh, use, for example, disparaging humor towards others. So this is considered to be a negative humor style, and that can have detrimental uh, effects uh, on your health. Hmm. Is is humor and, um, I guess, being humorous or funny, is it something we learn? Are we socialized to be funny, or is it a, a, a personality trait? Is it, a, is it just natural? Well, it can be both, but it is natural because uh, babies, when they are like a few weeks old or a couple of months uh, old, th- they smile uh, and they smile not in response to anybody uh, specifically, because we know that because blind kids uh, uh, just naturally smile. So the social, the, the, we have an instinct, you can say, uh, to smile. Now, uh, obviously, over time, uh, babies start smiling in response to uh, the caregiver, father, mother, and with time, the type of thing that makes them uh, laugh get more and more sophisticated from peekaboo at the beginning then to uh, maybe uh, sort of uh, play games uh, and then to sophisticated jokes. But one interesting finding in related to that is that we tend to laugh much more when we are kids. Huh. When we are getting older, people just don't laugh that much as they used to. And that kind of seems to be odd uh, but, but it also tells us that humor and laughter does serve a very strong social function uh, uh, for its very big part of your development. And, and we do uh, 
we laugh more as a child, and then I guess we we're kind of socialized out of seeing the funny or feeling the good. Well, in some sense, yes, because we have also all sorts of restrictions. You can't laugh uh, about race. You can't laugh about, like, uh, as, as sex. Yeah. You can be sexy. So there are all sorts of taboo uh, topics. Rules, that yeah. Get us. We are very disciplined, and, and then we have all this socialization that affect us. Do, do you sense um, – I mean, I, I even see it in my own children because we laugh a lot that – when I make a joke or crack a joke with my kids, they've picked up my style. They know when I'm being sarcastic. They can hear the tone of it, and some of their friends can't. Um, but then I get comments from other parents that they think my kids are funny. And I, I think some of it is just because it is about timing and tone and it just surprise what you say and when you say it. I mean, I, I guess so. some of this is just – it's something that maybe we ought to be teaching more of. Right. No, I totally agree. And I think kids are a great example that can they can learn to laugh and, and to see the positive uh, uh, things in life from their parents. Uh, it's also, we know that it's partially uh, inherited. So if uh, parents that tend to be, to smile more and have greater sense of humor, they, their children will tend to be that way. And not just because they share the same environment, but also because of the, they share the, the same uh, genes. But, but definitely, I think that, that kids uh, should laugh more. And, and, you know, now you have, uh, it, it's a big industry now. You have all the laughter yoga yeah. clubs all around the world that people just, uh, for people that don't know what it is, it's just people gather together and start laughing out of the blue without uh, <laughs> any reason. You, you start forcing yourself laughing. And then over time, after a few minutes, you, you just kind of you free your spirit and you laugh more naturally. And while it doesn't maybe have a lot of health benefit, but it's still fun. And, and, and one important aspect of laughter and humor is that it's a, the social aspect. It's, it's, a, it's a shared thing. People tend to laugh much more when they watch a comedy film with uh, other people around than when they watch it uh, by themselves. So a lot of people don't even laugh when they watch uh, funny movies on on TV. Yeah. So it's something that we want to share with others, that connects us with each other. So, I mean, even if it doesn't have very long-term uh, effect, still fun, and there's nothing wrong with that. Not at all. And, I, I mean, I guess it's contagious as well. I mean, if you sit and see someone laughing long enough, you start laughing. Yes, absolutely, yes. That's a great thing. And it is an interesting concept to bring up the social, light, social side of it because, you know – it really is a bonding experience and you might not ever be able to retell the jokes that you were laughing about with a bunch of friends, but you do, you did create a really powerful, positive moment. Right. And you know, there is very interesting uh, studies that look at what are people actually laughing during their daily life. Now, when people hear that I research humor, they always ask me, do you have good jokes and can you tell something funny? But <laughs> Studies show consistently if you go, for example, to a cafeteria or, you know, a, a bar or place where people gather together and listen what makes them laugh, you will find that most of the comments, the pre-laugh comments that they make, 
will not make sense to an outsider. They, they won't even be considered anything funny. They're like mundane comments, mm-hmm. even basic, like, how are you? Or, so, so people have sort of secret language, and, and it is a bonding experience. It, it, it sends a signal to other members of the group that uh, we share something together, that we're friends, and everything is fine. And so, so you don't need necessarily to develop a sophisticated sense of humor and to uh, be funny, but you can allow yourself to laugh. And and that, as I said, it's contagious uh, and that can help facilitate uh, um, social bonding. Oh, I love it. I I love it. And it is, it's unifying. It creates, it, it is such a social skill. And one that really, I think, elevates everyone. So whether the benefits are long-term, um, I guess the, that jury's still out. But short-term, it sure makes the night go faster. It makes a radio show go even easier if we can laugh a little bit through it. Dr. Uh, Gil Greengross, again, we appreciate you and your great work there on humor at Aberystwyth University in Wells. Thank you again for your time. We will take a break. Come back. When we come back, Caitlin Thomas will be joining us talking theme park hacks. Interesting insight. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. So summer is right around the corner, right? Most of your kids are going to be getting out of school soon. And what that means is it's time to get on the road. Maybe some travel, some vacation. A common place for many families to visit is the big theme parks, parks, amusement parks. you got to get your roller coaster on. So while that can be fun and kids love the whole thing as a parent, it can be very stressful. Today, Caitlin Thomas has brought us some of her tips that, uh, that might help us get through the theme park vacation with a little more happiness, a little more a joy. Little joy. A little less sweat. I just noticed that whenever we've gone to a big theme park, you know, like Disneyland, my dad just is so grumpy because I think he's just so stressed out. Oh, it's totally stressful. You know? And so then my mom's trying really hard to keep us happy, but she's also getting a little bit anxious. Yeah. Anyways. You know what? I don't like theme parks either. But you have to pace yourself. Right. But you pay all this money, so you're like, we're going to get everything out of this park. Yeah, we want it. We want to hit everything and everywhere, but then we also got to remember that kids can't... Anyways. Yeah, and we can't eat there because it's... We, we, it costs $20 to eat a burrito that you can eat for $2 at Del Taco. And then the you, you can't have a burrito and then go hit the roller coaster. No, because then you'll puke up said yeah. burrito. Such a good point. So <laughs> here's, some, here's some hacks for uh, parents okay. that I found. And in my experience, of course, I don't have kids, but I've been a kid. You, and some would say you still in are a one. Park. A kid at heart. Totally. Um, bring a Ziploc bag to keep all of your cell phones in during water rides because little kids love the it's water rides. a great rides. idea. And in case you get dizzy on a ride. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Um, <laughs> take a picture of your parking spot on your phone. That's a good So that you can remember where you're going. Um, uh, visit the park early in the mornings and then go back late at night. So, like, go yeah. early in the morning and leave, go take a break, go to the beach, and then go back. Yeah. In- unless, of course, you enjoy sweating with everyone else. Right. Um. Bring a rechargeable. They they sell these cool rechargeable cell phone cases that'll charge your phone, or you can just buy one of those portable chargers. You're gonna need it, I promise. You know what else you could do is just turn your phone off. You could. And maybe just instead but take one of those lose, old-fashioned but, camera things. I mean, I'm thinking like you know, if your kids get lost and you need to like contact oh, yeah. you, make sure you have a charge. Speaking of which, like here's this great idea that I saw a couple parents did. Um, they the parents wrote. If lost, call, and then they wrote their phone number on their kids, like, inside. Oh, that's a great kids. idea. So if they get lost, whoever finds them can just call. Or you write it, like, on the inside of their shoe or something. I don't think my 17-year-old would let me do that. 
Wouldn't it seem、yeah. weird though if a stranger was seen looking through a child's shoe? So true. true. But、That's、I mean,、point. put on their arm and you don't go, you know, don't go. And then they had it, so they wrote it in Sharpie, like on the inside of their wrist, and then they covered it with like this, the clear, like cement glue. So it was like a sticker, so like water wouldn't wash wow. off. Wow. Right? That, so it's like, like, it's almost like that. That's either a really nervous mother or she's got a child that is seriously difficult. I mean, but like, think about it. That's, That's genius. Smart. Then、totally. you don't, you know. I just write it on their belly. <laughs> Again, weird. <laughs> weird, but you know, whatever works.、Okay. Um, speaking of which, take photos of each of your child that morning after、mm-hmm. they get ready because that way, if they do happen to go missing and you need to, you know, it's a great idea. The police, like somebody involved, like a search party involved, you know exactly what they're wearing and exactly、oh, what you, their hair looks I like. I thought you meant so in case we forgot what they looked like. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you have a lot of kids, sometimes my mom doesn't always remember what I'm wearing. So、yeah. if you take a photo, then you know exactly what. Can we just pause for a minute and. Notice the music that's playing. What are you? What is this? This is、haunted、a ride、mansion? at a theme park. Isn't this haunted mansion? This is like a haunted ride. It seems like we should have fun theme park music.、Hmm. Just don't play "It's a Small World," please. Oh, I love that song.、Oh. Dang it! That's the, the only other one we have. It's the, it's the song that never gets out of your head.、Um, here's a good one.、Mm-hmm. Go on rides during the like parades or the fireworks shows because everybody else is watching. Oh, that's great. But wouldn't you want to see the parade? Well, I mean, yes, but would you rather see the parade or would you rather go on rides and watch the parade from the top of a roller coaster? That's a great point. You know, with、I'm、a、saying. burrito. With a burrito in hand. <laughs> in Disneyland, they have chicken or turkey legs. Right. Yeah, they do. Just carry a big turkey leg around. <laughs> like you could eat it all day.、Um, walk the park backwards. So walk against traffic. You mean, you mean actually walk, yeah, walk backwards? Walk backwards the whole time. Wow, that that no, would be a whole different experience. Like start at the back and then go to the front. That's a good、so、idea. People, like go against traffic because then you're, you'll tend to miss the lines.、Um, oh, here's a cool one. If you're going to Universal Studios, if you find some good deals, stay at the Hard Rock Hotel, the Portofino, or the Royal Pacific because your room key doubles as a fast pass. Really? It does. And then you can also take a water taxi from the resorts for free. That's、so、exciting.、Drive. Yeah. Which I was like, it's probably a little more expensive, but with the time you'll save, I doubt I would be okay with that. So there you go. This is good stuff. And if you if you're there on the right day, you get to see Johnny Depp playing the pirate. Right. Here we go, pirates. This is exciting. Speaking of the new pirates, is coming out soon, right? Yeah, this weekend.、Uh, go Jeff- and see my film, Savvy. <laughs> Very good. So there you go. There are some tips Caitlin, for you to have a you. more enjoyable theme park experience. That's great, and I'm I we will be doing those. <laughs> You're right, Jeff. <laughs> we, we'll be we'll be writing everyone's name and address and phone number on their wrists. Right, write their social security、yeah. numbers. Good stuff. Yeah. Caitlin Thomas is her name. We've only got her for one more week. I know. But she is looking for employment. I am. Give us a call one eight five five chat BYU if you've got a job for her. Matt's my favorite boss. That's right. Well, I'm pretty much your only boss lately. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we're gonna miss you. Darn it. We'll be back, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, up next, screen cleaning with Jeffrey Simpson. Stick with us. The show begins. It's time to break the show down musically. I hope for you it is not agony. 
This show is full of so much fun that won't stop till the hour's done. Let's begin. A man's rude date just won't get off her phone. He yells at her, so she leaves him alone. Our own beloved weather girl gives movie reviewing a whirl, followed by the man who pumps up crowds at football games. We'll see which tunes he can and cannot name. And then some guys create a show on YouTube called Hey Joe. We've all enjoyed this intro song, but now it's time to move along. Here we go. The show begins in five, four, three, two, one. <laughs> wow. Uh, <clears throat> these aren't tears, by the way. Wow. Oh, that was powerful. So touching. Oh, forgive me. Oh. I, I don't know how I'm going to be able to follow that, Cole. I really don't. <clears throat> well, welcome to Screen Cleaning. We don't usually start out uh, each show with tears. My name's Jeff Simpson, and uh, every Friday at 9 a.m. Mountain Standard Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, I'm going to do my darndest to bring you all that's good in entertainment, whether it's helping you finding quality and appropriate movies to watch with your family, shining a big old spotlight on clean comedians, or even presenting the news through music, as we did today. Basically, uh, we want to take an element of the Matt Townsend show that we feel is missing, which is humor, which is ironic because he talked about humor with a guest today. And we want to, you know, give you at least one hour that is, is funny. So that's really our goal here on Screen Cleaning on the Matt Townsend show. And, of course, Cole Wissinger is here to lend a hand to... Cole, uh, do you ever wish that your life was just one big musical? Oh, absolutely. One show-stopping number after another. Who wouldn't want that? Okay, well, what type of a musical would it be? Oh, see, now that that's a good question because there's all kinds of musicals, right? Green Day has like a punk, punk rock musical. It's Hamilton is went, a rap musical. It's interesting you went to Green Day very first because when I think of musicals, I think like The Music Man and Fiddler on the Roof Sound and Bye Bye Birdie. Yeah. Maybe not Sound of Music, but... Uh, <laughs> So what is your favorite musical then? Ooh. I mean, Hamilton's the new, hot new thing on town. That's easy to say. It's my favorite. Okay. But I mean, I've I've seen Lion King on Broadway, and it doesn't get much better than that. Also, the costumes and everything were great. I have seen that one. Mine is The Music Man, hands down. The Music Man. With well, Matthew Broderick? No. And uh, Kristen Chenoweth, no. Uh, we'll have more music talk throughout the program, of course, but uh, first we do need to give you a recap of the latest and very best in entertainment news. Let's start off with the best revival news. Now, I've never seen this show. It's a little show called Timeless. It's about time travel. And uh, this show was actually canceled. Oh, yeah. And the fans of this show, there was such an outcry among the fans that I believe it's NBC. They said, okay. I guess we won't cancel it. So, oh, man, if only that would work with some of the other shows that have been canceled. Um, luckily, one of the shows that I watched, The Last Man on Earth, has not been canceled, shockingly, and uh, it's going to come back for a fourth season. So that's the best revival news. The best renewal news is, of course, Arrested Development. Hmm. I could listen to this. 
22nd song all day long. And, uh, you know, I'm not mentioning this because I'm saying you should go watch it, but I do think it's interesting that uh, it's one of the few shows that started out on TV, ends up on a streaming network like Netflix that continues bleeping out to bleep out the swear words in it. So what usually you think if you go to Netflix or Amazon, now there's all this free range to say anything you want. No, they keep bleeping out the swear words just like they did on TV. But again, I I just wanted to mention that because I love listening to that song. So the best awards host renewal news, Jimmy Kimmel is set to host the 90th Academy Awards. And, you know, after what happened... Uh, there was no way they were not going to invite him back. They had to invite him back. And he had, you know, all of his great bits were kind of overshadowed by the big fiasco at the end of the ceremony. But uh, he did have this running gag with Matt Damon. And here's a clip of, uh, of, of that. The great Alfred Hitchcock was once asked, what are the key elements of making a memorable movie? He said, to make a great film, you need three things. The script, the script, and the script. This year's screenplays proved him right through their creative storytelling and inspirational themes. The nominees include a story of two brothers. I have... You gotta be kidding me. Wait, hold on. Wait. Come on, what is with the music? Am I being played off? Seriously? You can't play me. I'm just presenting. You can't play me off. Why are they playing off the presenter? Wrap it up. We want to go home. Well, um, that, of course, was uh, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, and there was this big running joke that, you know, Jimmy Kimmel and Matt Damon don't like each other. But one of the better bits in the show. Uh, Lastly, the best theater etiquette news. We shared this uh, story on Matt's show as well. But one theater go is asking for $17.31, the price of the ticket for a 3D showing of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Brandon Vesmar filed suit against an unidentified 35-year-old woman who was allegedly texting during the film. The couple met online and were on a first date. Vesmar claims the woman checked her phone numerous times during the film, how rude, and responded to text messages. The director of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, James Gunn, gave his opinion on the matter. He tweeted, why stop at suing? She deserves jail time. Wow. Yeah, I don't think they're going to go out again. What do you think, Cole? I mean, if that's the first date, I don't think it's going to warrant a second. Yeah, usually... A volume two, if you will. Once uh, once you start the legal process, that's probably where uh, it ends, right there. Right. Uh, well, hopefully he chooses a better theater-going uh, companion next time. Anyway, we are going to uh, take a quick break, and uh, up next, Sandy Jacobs, who is our beloved weather gal, she's going to be trying her hand at reviewing movies. Should be interesting, Uh, so we'll take a break, and we'll return. This is Screen Cleaning on The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. You know, our film critic, Rod Gustafson from Parent Previews, was not available today. So we've enlisted the help of BYU Radio's meteorologist, Sandy Jacobs, who insisted on filling in for Rod. Sandy, welcome to Screen Cleaning on The Matt Townsend Show. Well, thanks for having me, Jeff. And again, really, thanks for filling in for Rod. I I know you're busy putting together your weather report for the 10 o'clock hour. 
Oh, it's no trouble. I'm happy to do it. Okay. So uh, what what movie do you want to talk about this week? Is it uh, is it the new Diary of a Wimpy Kid movie? Uh, no, Jeff. I'll be reviewing a Pixar film. Oh, cool. Uh, uh, so you've already seen Cars 3. No, it's it's not Cars 3. It's actually up. And I've got to tell you, Jeff, it looks like Pixar has another big hit on its hands. Up is the best movie I have seen all year. Uh... Sandy, that film actually came out, like, in 2009? Yes. Well, it's actually the last movie I saw in the movie theaters. Okay. Uh, well, I guess give us your review of Up. Right. So, Up is about a 78-year-old widower who travels to Paradise Falls, a place where he and his late wife have always wanted to visit. He travels to Paradise Falls in his home, which is equipped with hundreds of helium-filled balloons. It's just a delightful, heartbreaking, heartwarming at the same time. It's just it's just a whimsical film. And the best part of the film is around the 30-minute mark. And, oh, anyone who's seen this film, you, you know what scene I'm talking about. It's, uh, it's got Carl Fredrickson, the protagonist, and he's flying in his home, okay? And he looks out the window, and he sees partly cloudy skies with a few sun breaks in the afternoon with temperatures of 42 degrees, some moisture heading his way, and a 32% chance of scattered showers for the evening. Then he's looking at strong winds coming in from the east, continuing on throughout the weekend. Powerful stuff, Jeff. I see. Well, uh, Sandy, thanks for covering for Rod. Well, we'll let you go. I, I know you've got to prepare for your next weather report. Oh, so, no, um, Jeff. It's really no problem. I, you know, I've still got time to review some more Pixar films if you'd like. Uh, let's see. Um, you know, no other film has captured Aurora Borealis as accurately as the film The Good Dinosaur. Okay, it's Sandy, just, let, me, you know, let me stop you right there. I, I actually really didn't care for that film, The Good Dinosaur. Uh, do you have any other reviews or weather reports? Yes, Jeff. You know, in the film Finding Dory, there's this scene which has some varying ocean temperatures which affect the local atmospheric pressure. And then that creates some regional wind patterns that in turn drive oceanic currents that affect surface ocean temperatures. Whoa, and then that's whoa gonna... Sandy. Spoiler alert. Some of us haven't seen that film that came out in 2003. All right. Well, I think this went well. Uh... Sandy, um, I guess, good work? Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll definitely think about having you back to review another film for us the next time uh, Rod's not available. Thank you, Sandy Jacobs. Um, she just, okay, I think we're safe to talk now because she just walked out. Uh, Cole, did it seem to you like she was just, like all she noticed in the movie was the weather? One track mind, a little bit. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So she's kind of like a one-trick pony. Right. Just one at a time. She's got a good point, though. I mean, if you saw Up, I mean, if you, did you see those cumulus clouds? They were fluffy. Are those the cumulus ones? I don't really know. We're and unfortunately, our... we're going to have to have Sandy Jacobs back to answer that question for mm -hmm. us. Anyway, uh, it could have been worse. It, it, it could have been a lot worse. I'm sure. 
Okay. And it was a good movie to go along with. The movie was great. The weather. The movie review. Felt like I was watching her weather segment. (laughs) Anyway, up next, we'll be speaking with Bryce Lake, who will be talking to us about the important role music plays in sports. When we return, we're going to continue this musical theme we've got going on. Stick with us. This is Screen Cleaning on The Matt Townsend Show. Good song. One that you might hear at a uh, football stadium or a baseball stadium, which is interesting because our next guest happens to know something about that. Everyone knows that without music, the world would be flat. You get that? So what would a college or professional sports game look like without music? Here to speak with us today is Brian Lake. Brian Bryce. or Bryce? It's Bryce. It's, I see Bryce it's and Bryce. Brian. I called yes. you Bryce when you came in. You did. So you're the marketing coordinator for BYU football, and you're the guy that gets to pick and play all the music at the BYU football games. Welcome to Screen Cleaning, first of all. Well, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. So you said you've been doing this for how long again? Uh, full-time, almost full four years. So I did a little volunteer work in my undergrad here at BYU, but uh, yeah, four years full-time. So. so I'm super excited to talk to you, and this just sounds like the coolest job in the world. I'm sure there, will be, there are plenty of people out there that would love to have this job. Yes, I get that often. <laughs> so obviously there was a time, you know, at sporting events when music was not an element of the game, right? Yes, like way correct. back when. Correct. And over the years, obviously, it's... it's uh, played a bigger part in that. What exactly, what role does music play in sports? You know, it's interesting that you bring that up. I think actually the New York Knicks this year, uh, a few games back, tried to do a game without any music. That's right. Yeah, yeah. First half. And even the players and everybody was commenting how weird it was <laughs> and how odd it felt. Um, so back to your question, I mean, music plays a huge role. Um, it's probably day-to-day probably a smaller portion of what I do, the smallest, yeah, but has a huge impact, right? A lasting impact. So there's a lot of pressure, especially here at BYU, to choose music that will drive emotion yeah. and be appropriate, quote unquote, <laughs> right? So um, yeah, it's a, it's a big deal. Okay. So how do you choose the type of music that gets played at these football games and baseball games? How does that, uh, how do you make those decisions? Yeah, so it's a it's an ongoing process. I I guess it's I mean it's weekly. We usually get some suggestions from the players, right? Which we can usually play one or two of their <laughs> oh, list, yeah. right? Um, but we're we're always scouring the top charts, the best classical rock selection from the '80s, the top country hits. I mean, we're always going through um, the new music, the new artists. And uh, then we just pull them up on YouTube and, and start listening. And it's pretty clear in the first couple of seconds yeah. if we're not going to be yeah. able to use a particular <laughs> song um, or if we need to take a closer look at it or if, you know, there's some songs that are just we'll play every game all the time. Yeah. You know, a la Sweet Caroline or whatever. So, oh, yeah. yeah. It seems like a really tough job because, you know – 
there are babies coming to these games and there are senior citizens coming to this game to these games and everybody in between so are you shooting for a a particular demographic because i know it's virtually impossible to please everybody it it is um and and we we get our share of complaints um (laughs) but you know we we have to find a balance and and i think more particular than playing one song that's going to please everybody. We need to play a variety of songs that throughout throughout the game or the event, somebody's going to find something to relate with and and you know uh, have a good emotional attachment to. So sometimes we have to play some hip hop beats for the players, right? Get them to make a a, a tackle or after a big dunk, uh, but then we can scale it back and you know play some classic rock or you know, something for the family, for the kids. And, and I think it's unique here at BYU. Like you said, we have three-month-olds coming, you know, with their little headphones on, <laughs> up, to, up to people who have been here for years and years. And, and pleasing everybody with one song or one genre of music, it's rough. It's tough. Yeah. So. so there are times when you're more focused on the players and other times you're more focused on the fans. Yes. Although we err on the side of the fans, right? Right. Um, yeah. We we are on the side of our customer, our client, and and we realize that they're paying and looking for a family environment at these events, at these games, and so we try to provide a good experience for them. Um, so we we err on that side and and try to keep them happy and 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 moving right along. So let me ask you your opinion on this. How much how much of a a role do you think the audience plays in the success of a team? In other words, you know, let's say they're down. I'm gonna, I'll in a minute here I'm going to give you a few different scenarios, but uh, let's say they're down and it, it, is it possible for the audience to basically resuscitate the team with their cheering? Yes, I, I mean you're asking you know a, a very opinionated guy <laughs> yeah. in this in this market, but absolutely. Um, and in talking with players and coaches alike, they feed off of that energy at at home, especially, um, and they can feel it. And and I think it has a great impact on on the performance of a team when they feel that you know sixty thousand plus fans are behind them and and really cheering for them. And so take the, taking that one step further, anything we can do from a production standpoint to maintain that emotion in the stadium or elevate it or – I don't want to say manipulate it, but that's, that's sure. essentially what yeah. we do with, with the music and the song choice that we select is we can play with the emotions of the crowd a little bit to hopefully – keep our team yeah. on their toes. So, Okay, let me give you a few different scenarios here, and you answer me with a, an example of a song that you might play in this scenario, okay? okay? So let's say um, let's say the, the BYU Cougars are down, and there's, you know, maybe three minutes left in the fourth quarter, and they're down by a couple of touchdowns. What is the type of a of song that you would play in that scenario? Well, I can tell you what I wouldn't play. Okay. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, in that type of scenario, and I guess it a lot of it has to do, do with the flow of the game. Right? Sure, yeah. If we've been down three touchdowns all game and we're not playing well and it's not on our – it's just – it's not looking Probably good. not going to happen, yeah. You know, at that point, I'm just going to play a song – that will keep the fans there 
having a good time. So I'll probably play an old, an older school song that'll get them up to dance. You know, maybe a jump around, maybe a oh, good song. You know, or something where they can put their arm around the person next to them and, and sing a little bit, like Brown Eyed Girl. Or, yeah, you know, just yeah. something to keep keep the mood light. If we've been down by six touchdowns and we're making a big comeback. Ooh, this was going to be my next question, See, the momentum, so yeah. It's, it's the momentum. And so you have to play to, you have to, play to the game. Um, and so you'd probably pick something a little bit more um, you know, inspiring or, or moving or something that will – if we're on defense and it's going to get people up and loud and engaged. And, yeah. And so you kind of have to feel out the game. Um, also knowing that it can change in in any second. Sure, right? yeah. So you got to have you've got to we have a music cue. So man, if if an interception happens right here and we score a touchdown and now it's close, you know, here's here's my three or four songs that I'm gonna Yeah. Play. So Interesting. Yeah. Okay, now my next one is do you have any type of opposition music? What I mean by that like if you're at a baseball stadium and uh, a coach on the opposing team comes out to converse with his pitcher. Absolutely. Usually it'll be like, you know, dun, 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 yeah, Darth Vader, you know? So what, what's, what type of opposition music do you have? And when is it appropriate to play that? Yes. So we, we absolutely do. Um, and that's part of the gamesmanship. Um, we certainly – so one of my coworkers actually oversees the baseball side of things. But, man, he has – Anytime a pitcher is changed or there's a, a meeting at the plate or whatever, you know, he has bye, bye, bye from NSYNC <laughs> or, you know, happy awesome. trails or, or whatever it is. Or, man, if the coach just keeps coming out to talk to the umps or the, the referees, you know, we can play the Jeopardy song or, you know, yeah. there, there's certain things like that um, in a football, basketball game. You know, we're supposed to play music behind the opposing team intros or whatever, but we yeah. always... You know, this last season we did a lot of '90s sitcom themes. So I played like, like, or even older. I played like Matlock or The Simpsons, yeah. like theme song behind the opposing team. So yeah, there's music, but it's kind of weird. It makes the fans chuckle a little bit, and then I transition into our team. And so that's awesome. There is some gamesmanship there. We, you know, you can't play it all the time. We, we well, and that's in good humor yeah, too. Yeah, absolutely. When when anybody's injured. Or there's yeah. a, a timeout for that type of thing. We we stay away from playing music. Yeah. Just let things play out. Interesting. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, obviously a lot of the music that you play gets people up and dancing and, and excited. Now, as far as the players go, are there any players that just are super good dancers or that really get into the music that you do play? Yes, absolutely. Um one of them we just we just lost. He just graduated. Jamal Williams. Oh, right? Jay Swag Daddy. Drafted. <laughs> drafted by yes. the Packers. Yeah, very That's exciting. Awesome. Um, he loved to dance and would dance to anything and everything. <laughs> um, and oftentimes in the week, you know, I'd run into him at the student athlete building or out of practice or whatever, and you know, he'd say, "Hey, think you could play this song or you know try this out." And and a lot of players, you know know who the music guy is, right? And so they they always shoot emails or texts and, hey, you know, we really like this song. And most of the time, I'm not going to probably play it. Yeah. But, but there are a few yeah. that, are, that are great and, and awesome and they dance to it and, and it's fun to see them interact with, with yeah. that part of the game. So. so before we take a break and then we'll, we'll come back and do another segment here with you, I know uh, – 
Palakiko was saying that you're really into movies too, and I'm just curious to know what are your favorite sports movies, or in what movies have they played the best sports music? Man, you know, favorite sports movies right away is Remember the Titans. I mm, mean, just an mm-hmm. instant classic. Um, I also loved uh, The Rookie. That's a great sports movie. Um, but a lot of the music that we actually use in sporting events doesn't come from sports movies. Really? Yeah. We use a lot of uh, cinematic trailer, high action, high pace, high yes. intensity. So uh, stuff from Transformers movies or <laughs> like the Bourne movies, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's music that that plays with your emotions and gets you excited. It gets you to feel a certain way, excited or or intense. Yeah, and so we use a lot of that actually. And then really quickly, what is the one song that every time you're you're always looking for an opportunity to play this song because you just love playing it at the stadium? Well, you know, there's two. One okay. is "Power" by Kanye West. Oh, we usually I usually play the instrumental, and that's when the student section links arms, they sway back and forth, yeah. they kind of hum along to it. I thought you were talking about, I've got the power. Yeah, right, yeah that, that would work too. <laughs> and then the one I always look forward to playing is All I Do Is Win, um, because that usually means we're going to win. And so that that's always a good one to play. Well, I can already tell this next segment is going to be very interesting. And uh, <laughs> we're going to play a little game, and fair warning... I am going to lose. Um, <laughs> we're going to play Name That Tune, but we're going to give you a little bit of a, a unique twist on it, which we will explain when we return. We'll be right back. We're speaking with Bryce Lake, and uh, we'll continue the fun here on Screen Cleaning on the Matt Townsend Show. Sir, oh, okay, now I get it. See, you would have won because you probably knew what that was before. You know, it took a minute. It did. It took yeah. a minute. So, I, uh, welcome back to Screen Cleaning on the Matt Townsend Show. I'm sitting here with Bryce Lake, who's the guy that uh, he's in the, the marketing department at BYU, or the marketing athletic, athletic department. department. Yeah, yeah. Yes. But uh, he one of his responsibilities is to select the songs that uh, are played at the BYU football games, the BYU women's softball games, and then also the men's the, basketball. The men's basketball. Yeah. yeah. And so we've had a good time talking about uh, his job here on the show. Now we thought we'd continue the fun with a little game that is familiar to everyone, which is Name That Tune, but we're going to put a little unique twist on it. I I mentioned during the break that my favorite team is the Los Angeles Dodgers. You mention it a lot, Jeff. (laughs) Really? Oh, okay. Well, I'll probably mention it more. Uh, There's a sweet old lady at Dodger Stadium that plays all these popular songs on the organ and uh, it always makes you laugh and think, like, is she really playing, you know, Happy by Pharrell, Pharrell Williams? And I didn't know anybody would play that on an organ. So we're going to play Name That Tune, Organ Edition. And, Cole, you're going to explain how this is going to go down. Yep. We're just going to take some turns. Um, we're going to start with Jeff and ease him in slow. And then I'll give each of you uh, a chance to guess some music you might not normally hear on that baseball-style, sports-style organ 
music. Okay. Is there a steal? Like, if I don't know it and, and Bryce does know it, does he get to steal it? Absolutely. Okay. Mm-hmm. See, now yep. you're putting the pressure on it. <laughs> and, this is the hot seat now. And I'll be keeping track of scores. <laughs> so we will okay. know at the end. All right. So All right, like I said, I'm going to easy and slow, Jeff. Okay. You're going to go first. And How then, much time do I have on each um, one? Like, if, There are about 30 seconds of music. Okay. I think you should cut me off after like 10 or 12 oh, I seconds. Will. Okay, yeah. cool. All right. Let's do this. All right. First song. Should be familiar. Charge. Exactly. Very good. I don't know any other name for it, but Charge. Yeah. (laughs) The Charge song. Yeah. Okay. Cool. That was easy. I hope I get as easy of a song selection. No, only the the most difficult songs for our guests. Well, I I mean, I have to be fair. I have to give him an easy one as well. So this is going to be a crowd favorite. This is Sweet Caroline. Mm-hmm. You, you just mentioned that just on the show earlier. It. Yeah, it sounds different on the organ. It but... sure does. Okay, I like that. <laughs> All right. Okay. So now we're getting into now we're getting into the real music, right? All right. <gasps> yes. Uh, what still, is the name of still, it? Still, still. Oh. <laughs> da, da, da. You and me, and me and you. There you go. So happy together. So happy together. All right. There you go. That was was on my mixed tapes growing up. I love that song. Okay. We're a a little old school right now. That's Mm -hmm. good. All right. Mm -hmm. I've got to dig into the archives Once he gets to the the current stuff, the game is yours. (laughs) So just so you know. All right. Coming up next. It is. Oh my god, I, I recognize. Wait for it. Palakiko knows it. Still, come on. There you go. All right. Bad day. All bad right. day right there. Man. <laughs> See, it takes me to the chorus. That's. Yes, yeah, so it's hard until you get to that chorus. Mm-hmm. Okay. What have you got next? Okay, so we started off the show talking about a little some musical movies. Yes. And so that'll yes. be the theme of our next two. Okay. 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 Fiddler on the Roof. Uh, if I were a rich man. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, a little bit of an unfair advantage. I played Tevya in high school okay, in Fiddler there you on go. the Roof. So this so. is in your blood. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I've never heard that on the organ, though. That is so funny. And there's wow. the part that everyone recognizes. Yes. The yes. Oh, okay. thank you for putting that there on. That takes me back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Another movie. Okay. There's the title right there. Right there. Hmm. This is man tough. You've really got me on this one. I don't know what it is either. I had either. to find one to stump you guys. What is it? So this is from maybe like the fourth or fifth or sixth best song from the movie, but it's "She's Like the Wind" from Dirty Dancing. 
What? Patrick you know, Swayze? I have never uh. seen that movie. Uh, see, I would get in trouble oh. if I admitted that I have never seen that movie either. But between you and me, nose tap. There you go. Oh, I'm hurt. Neither one of you. Sorry, sorry, Cole. It's a classic. Okay, so I have I have a couple more. Okay, let's hear them. Man, that was tough. That was tough. Star Wars. This is uh yes, Star Wars. But where? Do I have to choose an episode? Uh, this is at the the end when they're giving out the awards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, the awards, the the medals of honor. I guess. There you go. Yeah. I like this because at first it kind of sounds like a wedding march. It does. Especially played on the organ and all. I guarantee you there have been some Star Wars fans out there who have played this at their wedding. As they walk I down guarantee the you. I, yeah, I would not be surprised. I would not If you've be got like Star Wars-themed living rooms, you probably had a Star Wars wedding, too. <laughs> Is that a thing? I Star think Wars so. I know. There, I heard of, of a dentist one time that had like a Batman-themed dentist office. Okay. Like it was the Batcave. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, That's all I'm going to say about kids, that. <laughs> kids are afraid of the dentist. So we got one, one last one from a movie for you. See okay. if you can redeem yourself from Dirty Dancing. Oh, boy. I hope I've seen it. I forgive you for not knowing Dirty Dancing. <laughs> Is this a horror movie? It sounds like it with Oregon, huh? Yes. Yes. Is... Yes. I have no idea. I've Hold stumped on. the guess. Yeah, give me, give me a bare necessities. Oh, right there, there there the I'm recipes. <laughs> Jungle Book. Right? Oh my goodness! I loved that movie growing up. At first, though, I thought it was like a creepy clown it movie. It did. It sounded very creepy. <laughs> wow. Okay. Do we have a couple more? I can do one more. Let's do. Let's do one more. I think we have time for that. Okay. And this, let's just say, this is a, a fastest buzzer all. question. Whoever yeah. gets it first. All you. It's all you. The entertainer? No. Is it the entertainer? The entertainer. Wow. See, you, Look you. Look at that. I lucked out because Cole didn't play anything that's like current right now, which would have killed me completely. There you go. Stopped me in my tracks. I'm not playing much of the entertainer at a at a sporting event. Though I'm it shocked. is a great song. Yeah. I probably wouldn't <laughs> opt to play this. To be fair, I don't know how much current music is being played on the organ. I think you played one or two of them at the beginning. What was one of them? I mean, she had a bad day. Oh, had yeah. a bad Sounds day. Sounds a little But even that is organ. like, what, 15 years old or so? Yeah, it's, it's a good yeah. seven, eight years old. So that was <sighs> fun. That was, that was challenging. I've got to go brush <laughs> up a little bit. Okay, so uh, just some ideas for what you could play. At the BYU. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. Probably not going to be hearing them at the BYU Cougars games anytime soon, though. Yeah. But, yeah, I think you have to go to Dodger Stadium to hear all those good ones. 
But uh, Bryce, we really enjoyed having you on the show. We'll have to have you back again sometime when we talk, you know, more about like soundtracks and movies. And we we're going to be talking a lot about movies and music and you know comedy and TV shows awesome. on the show. I'd be glad to come. So back. Uh, yeah, thanks for your time. And man, go have some fun. Are are you, are you covering any games this weekend? Uh, no, a lot of our teams are in postseason play. That's so true. Baseball is postseason. Softball is up at the U today. Taking ah. on the Utes. So, uh, and then it's it's just gear up for football season. Well, so. then I guess take this time to brush up on your show tunes, yeah. hey, which you, you may go. never play at the <laughs> stadium, but that's okay. His name is Bryce Lake, and uh, he is in marketing in the athletic department here at Brigham Young University, and uh, he gets to play all the, the great songs that we hear at the football games and, and basketball games as well. And we've enjoyed having him here on the show. We'll take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll be speaking with Spencer and Jerem at BYU Sports Nation. This is Screen Cleaning. We'll be right back. Yeehaw! Well, <laughs> welcome back to Screen Cleaning on the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, it's part of our favorite part of the show now to go over to Jerem and Jason today. BYU Sports Nation, our good friends over there. Hello, guys. How you yeah. doing? Hello. <laughs> you don't know what you have done to me to be able to bring us into this segment with a banjo. That is like the that's the music of my people. He's from, uh, from y- Southern Jason's Missouri. From Missouri. Yeah, like Ozark area. He's the rare Mormon that's from Missouri outside of the 1800s. <laughs> the ones that wasn't kicked out. I, I somehow got back in. Well, Jason, I, I live to give. Thank uh, you. <laughs> hey, the, the screen cleaning. Tell us about this. This is exciting. You haven't heard about I told you about this I know. show, right? I know. So, well, I um, mean, like, on the air with us. You know, uh, Matt's show, it, it lacks a certain... It just didn't have it on Fridays in the third yeah, hour. Yeah, <laughs> it didn't... It's it's missing an element of humor, so we're kind of <laughs> instilling some of that into the last hour of his show. He take it, I think it's really just an, an opportunity for him to leave early, and he gets paid the same. I guess so, and wow. I the, I don't what get paid any more either. So, um, yeah, the jokes <laughs> on me. More, there was more involved. Matt just took it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I had a meeting with Don. Is like, oh, you didn't get that extra money that we've been paying you? Oh, what? Yeah. So uh, it's all entertainment. We even do some sports. In fact, we just finished uh, speaking with Bryce Lake. Do you guys know Bryce oh, Lake? Oh, Bryce is our homie. Yeah. So we uh, he talked to us a little bit about what he does and to get the audience pumped up. And then we played a little Name That Tune organ edition. Oh, nice. So Ooh. all the songs were on the organ, and it was pretty tough. From it the was state tough. of Oregon? Is that what you mean? No, no. I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. And I, so it made me think, I, I wanted to ask you guys, what are your favorite songs that you just have to hear at sporting events? That's a good question. Ooh. I mean, baseball, it's classic. Like, take me out to the ball game. Ta- yeah, take me out to the ball game. I mean, it, it has to be there. Literally, it has to be there in the seventh inning. I, I was at a Cincinnati Reds game two weeks ago tonight and heard uh, AHA uh, take on me on the organ. Take yeah. oh my goodness! It was great. Doo, 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 doo. It was so <laughs> awesome. See, here's here's the thing though, and this is strictly for anybody who has been to a BYU basketball game. This song has now. When I hear this song, I now immediately think of BYU basketball, and that is turbulence. Turbulence from, uh, from Steve Aoki and Lil John and uh, Laid Back Luke. All those guys, turbulence. Those guys are so relaxed. Very, very much so. Hmm. Uh, Very chill. If you've never been to a game at the Marriott Center, 
they they do they play turbulence. It's what going into the what's right around. I guess as they go into the fourth quarter, they don't have a fourth quarter in men's. But it, that song okay, now it's what I think of for BYU basketball now. Yeah. Okay. Now a different question. What's your favorite music to hear for the rival team? Like at a baseball stadium, you might hear the Imperial March whenever the the coach comes out to coach his pitcher on the I don't opposing want any team. Music for the opposition. No, just like you know, like Jeopardy music when they're taking too much time out at the mound. Yeah, talking that's all about, funny. Yeah, like, stuff uh, like that. BYU's closer in baseball, Keaton Sanitampo, came out the other day and BYU played closing time. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was really funny. Yeah. Semi-sonic, right? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Good pull. Thank Good you. for Good you. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That was impressive. Hey, so what's coming up on your show here in just about uh, six minutes and eight seconds? Well, let's see. Uh, we've got a pretty fun topic here. There's a lot going on, but fans are always wanting more from their sports teams and programs. So our question really is, what's the next big hurdle that any of the BYU sports teams can overcome. That's what, hmm. we're, that's what we're talking about today. What's okay. the next in hurdle? The, in the spirit of baseball about to break through and get an outright conference championship if they win today or tomorrow. All they need is one win. Did yeah. not get it last night. That's okay. Softball's playing in the, the regionals against Utah, by the way. Yes. Today, 3 Eastern. You can listen on BYU Radio with Spencer Linton and Gary Sheidey. Uh, but football getting to 10 wins or getting ranked or basketball winning a conference title, either regular season or a tournament, men's volleyball winning the national title. What is it? What, what is that? Plus, Jonathan Tavernari, sharpshooter, four-time conference champ from BYU Hoops. He will join us. Always opinionated. Yes. Does he think Eric Mika made the right move? We'll ask him that. Ooh, can't wait, you guys. And, you know, uh, before you go to the show, you might want to brush up on your organ sports music. Yeah. <laughs> I was hoping you were going to give us a little taste of it. Well, I, I lived in Oregon, so I thought I could nail this. But well, or a gun. We it's ran out of time. Gun. But one of them was "Had a Bad Day" played Ooh. on the organ. That's yeah. That's funny. That's yeah, pretty good. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we'll let you go. Have a great show, and uh, we'll talk again next Friday, guys. Screen cleaning. Screen cleaning. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, we we just have a few minutes here left. As you know, our mission on screen cleaning is to help you find the best entertainment around. And one way in which we do that is by shining a spotlight on a particular movie, actor, performer, or a story in a segment we're calling Panning for Good. There's good in them dire hills. When five Mormon missionaries returned from the Philippines, they were looking for a way to share their creative talents and stay connected with the country and the people they'd come to love. Their solution? They took to YouTube and created the Hey Joe Show. Hey Joe is apparently what little kids in the Philippines shout whenever they come in contact with a foreigner. So what's the Hey Joe Show all about? The Hey Joe Show is a comedy group. It's all family-friendly, clean, positive, pro-Philippines comedy. Our main objective is to inspire pride in the Filipino people. We're obsessed with the Philippines and the culture there. And it turns out they're quite the superstars in the Philippines. Their YouTube videos have millions of views. They've met and even danced with the president of the Philippines. How cool is that? And they have their own music video. (laughs) 
So be sure to check out the Hey Joe Show channel on YouTube. Nicole, these guys are actually BYU students. I think a couple of them just graduated, but uh, they're really super famous in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of them here on BYU's campus? I actually have because I have a roommate that was also in the Philippines doing the, the mission trip gig uh-huh. right around the same time they were. And so he he showed them to me about a year ago when they were first getting going or right when it first started. And it's funny. It's good stuff. It helps if you know Tagalog. But, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> It's still funny to watch. Good for the see. They have the type of fame that I would want. You know, like somebody in a in a country far, far away would know who I was. But you know, just here at home, nobody. No one would stop you, know? you on the street. It wouldn't be like that extra burden. Yeah. on you. Mm-hmm. That would be awesome. Well, we hope you've enjoyed the show. Our show today has had obviously a very musical theme to it. We sang in what the sh- or uh, what was going to be on the show. We played name that tune. We talked about music at sports games. And, you know, one of my favorite get pumped up songs uh, is, you know, it's going to sound familiar to anybody. Cole, can you can you uh, cue that up for us? It's just the last song on there. This is the song that gets a lot of people pumped up. And I remember putting it on a, you know, a disc man or a discman and jogging around the track, trying not to skip the disc man as I'm running. And, I you know... Around the first or second lap, I'm thinking, this is it. This music is going to put me over the edge. I'm going to start losing that weight, get in shape. And then, you know, maybe around lap three or four, the song is uh, not really sounding as good to me. And uh, my will to my willpower is starting to wane. And uh, then it just becomes just a great song. That is fun to listen to while I'm sitting on the couch watching Rocky instead of being inspired by Rocky. Oh, boy. One of these days, one of these days, this song is going to get me back up off the couch and uh, back into a, a size 30 waist, I guess. Anyway, that's our show for today. We hope you've enjoyed everything that we've had here on Screen Cleaning on the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back next Friday, 9 a.m. Mountain Time. 11 a.m. Eastern Time to give you more ideas for quality entertainment that you can share with the entire family. Until next Friday, have fun at the movies, and we'll talk to you later.